like a little clash and culture before the show. It is Wednesday night. We'll December, take care of that. December 27th, year 2017. You're so optimistic. What can I say? I am. About what? Clash and culture. About taking care of class oh, and culture. Class. Oh, you know how much I love your Elise. Thank you for playing that. Oh, I thought you enjoyed that. Patricia's back. Larry's there. Hello, Larry. How are you feeling? I'm good. That's all you have to say? No, okay. but that's a good start. <laughs> that's an excellent sign. And Patricia, you're back. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I promise not to go poopy anymore. <laughs> well, if so, just bring a doctor's note. 714-545-2071 is our number. We are live. And we had a good show last night. And we're here. So, Patricia. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Just logged into the chat room. If anybody wants to join me there, I will be there. That's good. We have we uh, have a new. We haven't talked about it that much. We have a new person that got a password username thing to Patricia. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Hours. And Walt from Italy, who's been a supporting member, and and Kim sent him his password and username. So. He's an American who lives in Italy who loves old-time radio. Mm -hmm. He was in there at 1 o'clock this afternoon, but he's got to come back. Mm, okay. And tell us what time it is over there. For probably. It's like uh, seven or nine. About, it's about 4 o'clock in the morning. What is it? It's about 4 o'clock in the morning because I think it's yes. 9 hours difference from here. 9, from you. Yeah. So 9 o'clock in the morning for you? No. no, nine hours difference for us, so it's about okay. four in the morning, Italy All time. Right. I'll I'll do that. Okay, wake <laughs> up, Wolf. You have to wake up. <laughs> he signs in with Wolf One. His name is Walter, and we're just delighted to have him from Italy. So I'm here. So Patricia's in the chat room. So again, I know there's a bunch of them that sure come in. About a group of four or five with Bill and Mike, and mm -hmm. Patricia can babysit the chat room, see if anybody shows up the next 90 minutes, or we'll welcome them, and stuff like that there, so. And here I am. So, Patricia, anything fun you got to work on, or was it just basically a recovery day? It was it, a, it basically what? Was it a day of recovery, was it a day of relaxing, or was it, did you work on any little special projects for us. Oh, I did do some work on my special projects, and I'm okay. Now, at the day after, just kind of a little poopy, but other than that, um, for people who are wondering what happened, uh, you, you all know I'm diabetic, and I had a sugar crash last night. I had too much insulin uh, a little bit earlier, and bam, down it went. So I needed a whole bunch of food to bring it back up to where it's supposed to be. And I know it's confusing for people who say, oh, diabetics, you, you have a sugar problem. And, but when you say, I need to eat, it sounds funny. It just sounds counter to what people understand about diabetes. And the problem is that we have to, keep, we have to eat to keep up with the insulin we take. For people who have no diabetic problems, their pancreas keeps up with what they eat. We're taking replacement insulin that the pancreas normally puts out. So when we take a dose of insulin by injection, 
you have to eat to keep up with it. You just can't take insulin and, you know, not eat. You have to eat. So that's what happened last night. I didn't have enough food in my body. That was more than anybody ever needed to know, wasn't it? Oh, it's very good. It's more than I ever do. So very good. So, Larry, what about you? How was your day? It was fine. I didn't uh, take any insulin because I don't. But um, uh, let's see. When I, I probably left as soon as we started Ray Bream last night and slept till about seven thirty, which for me is pretty cool. Ten hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And most of the rest of the day was just getting stuff done here, uh, doing a lot of recording, trying to get some of these tapes that I have out of here, cassettes and things like that. So I did a lot of that and. Um, few other things nothing nothing significant which was fine because i didn't need to it's nice to be able to take a week off and just do what i want to do your your package by the way did not arrive okay well has not arrived okay i know it's going to come yeah yeah but are you guessing that it was supposed to come yesterday or did they tell you they told me oh do you have a tracking number on it no but I bet the person who sent it out for me probably would. Okay. May want to check. Okay. May want to check just to make sure that it didn't get lost somewhere. Well, yeah, $10 million check should probably didn't bounce. Had <laughs> you know? a lot of well, zeros in it. <laughs> it <perfect>. only bounce <laughs> once. Uh, well, you, you mentioned, mentioned that you talked to a fellow old-time radio friend of ours who's going to be celebrating his 97th birthday in a couple of weeks and we'll have him on the air Larry. You want to, you uh, want to uh, yeah I, I mentioned that I th- a few nights ago I guess I forgot when he called he called here sometime over the weekend just to wish us happy new year and I think it was before Christmas but Herb Ellis is going to be with us on the 19th uh, and I don't know what we'll talk about but he, we always have him on for about an hour or so and we just chat about stuff and people can call in so, we're looking forward to that. He's certainly looking forward to that. He said he's doing much, much better. He sounds really good, too. And so, uh, that will be uh, on the 19th. Is that right? Let's see, yeah. 2, 9, 16, 20. Yeah, 19th, yeah, Friday. And uh, and we'll have him on at the top of the show for about an hour or so. Herb was uh, Jack Webb right-hand man for many, 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 many years. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So. Did a lot of radio. A lot of voiceovers, quite a bit of TV. Did a few movies too, but most of it was radio, TV, and voiceovers. So, and that's the Herb Ellis who didn't play the guitar. There was another Herb Ellis who was a guitar player who passed on quite a while ago. But they were they got mixed up occasionally. Uh, people sent the wrong checks to the wrong person, obviously, and so that must have been rather interesting. But we've talked about him before in the past with Herb, so. Anyway, looking forward to that. That'll be on the 19th. Uh, I'm looking forward. I'm working with Kim on a project. She, we're working on an article for Spurvac on, on the history of Yesterday USA. Because Yesterday USA will be celebrating its 35th birthday coming up in 2018. So I got, I'm already 1,200 words in. And I haven't gotten to the personalities of the station yet. So it should be an interesting and so... And I asked him to go ahead and take pictures of everything. So that well, will be an interesting sneak preview of what's going to go, what's going on down there in 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive. So 
that that will be in a future Spurback article. So we're looking forward to that. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one is our number. And it's not Saturday night, and it's really, really Wednesday night, and we're really, really here. Um, really, really. Yep. Anyway, Patricia has an interesting fact for me just before the show, Larry, so I think you'll get kicked out of this. So go ahead, Patricia. You want to tell us what happened on this date in 1944? I certainly will. On December 27, 1944, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt seized control, both federally and militarily, of Montgomery Ward. It was a major department store chain in the United States, and they had some government contracts, and they did not fulfill their government contracts, and so the people got a little bit upset in the War Department, and they sent the... um, where did I say, the National Guard in? Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, to um, pick up, his name was Avery, Sewell Avery. They banged into his office, picked him up out of his seat, and walked out with him. <laughs> and it wasn't until after VJ Day in 1945 that the company's assets were returned to the owner. Now, if that isn't spooky, I don't know what is. But I don't know what the, the alternative would have been to um, get control of product that was supposed to be going overseas to the war effort. Who's on the phone? Hello there, you're on with Patricia and Larry. Good evening, Walden and Larry and Patricia. Hi, Jim. Hi there, Jim. How are you? Okay, a couple of things. My brother told me something tonight that I did not wear. Maybe I heard it somewhere, but he reaffirmed it to me. If you have not heard, Dick Orchid, a.k.a. Chicken Man, has passed away. Mm. No, I had not heard that. I guess within the last few days. I didn't know his age. Of course, people may... Uh, I know he's past golden age, but Chicken Man was a sort of a two-minute skit that was done on radio every day in the mid to late 60s. Oh, yes. I I'll, I'll look him up man. here a little bit. There was a website, and I went and I think I reached out to him through his website to see if we could get yeah. him on the show. Never heard back, but uh, there is a, a Dick Orchid dot com or chickenman dot com or something right. with the family. I think his daughter was running the company, if I recall the, the story. It ran about night. It started about nineteen sixty six. You might remember the opening. The announcer was a very famous jock from Chicago named Jim Runyon, who later went to mm-hmm. at W. He originated at WCFL in Chicago. And he said, and now, something about the greatest adventures of the greatest crime fighter the world has ever known. And you'd hear, bok, 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 chicken man. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's everywhere. I remember. And they he might- not only did that, he did the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, he did the Tooth Fairy, yeah. Uh, yep. And there's one other that I'm missing. Well, I know there's that one- he, the, he, the commissioner secretary, I believe, was... I believe was named Miss Helfinger. Was that her name or something like that? Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard it. Now, sir, at the end of each chapter, he would go, Well. Wow. Well. <laughs> yeah, yes. I remember. Yeah, I remember the Tooth Fairy was kind of big in Chicago. It was on WLS. And mm-hmm. in the late 70s, early 80s, he did these public service ads about you know, about hiring people of different colors and disability. You know, remember, 
it was a job application commercial, and he kept, well, I can't hire him because he's disabled, or I can't hire him because he's black, et cetera. And it turned out there was finally nobody he could hire. They yeah, didn't, well, yeah, didn't he eventually, he, he was here, and he had a place called Radio Ranch. That was the name of his distribution company, I believe. I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, and I, I, he was honored by PBB a few years ago as well. Uh, but it's been a while since we've heard about him, but he did all kinds of stuff. We'll have to go up and look at look him up a little bit. And but I only, oh, someone mentioned it the other day, but my brother reminded me again about it tonight. I'd forgotten about it until my brother reminded me again. Yeah. But uh, very, a very talented uh, part of post-Golden Age radio. Yeah, very much so. So, you, I'm sorry about your eating situation. I hope it gets better for you. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It just happens once in a while. Yeah. You go to sleep and wake up and you're fine. Yeah. Say that again? Pretty much. Well, no, I well? must be hard. I said, I said, I said, you know, you... You eat a little bit and you go to sleep and wake up the next morning and you're, you know, you're on the way to being fine. It's not a, it's not an all day thing where you recover. You're pretty much there. As a matter of fact, generally when you wake up, you're high again. Well, I know it must be hard at times because you like chocolate so much. (laughs) Yes, I do. I wish I had some yesterday. That would have helped. Yeah. Well, uh, not a lot else. I did get the book. I haven't started it yet because I'm still in the middle of one. I did get the book, Volume 1, of James, uh, oh, now I forgot the author's name, the, 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 the Volume 1 of the Frank Sinatra biography. Mm, okay. Mm. Uh, Kavanaugh, maybe it's Kavanaugh or Ka- mm. Anyway, I'll look the name up, but when I get that, I'll, I'll try to do it later. We'll do, maybe we'll do a review for you on that. Excellent. And we'll talk Saturday about when we want to do that a book together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you all have plans for, have you, I know you're still doing Christmas. I guess you're going to be starting some New Year's programming soon. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think Friday night, one of the awful shows will be another Christmas show because we have two that we did over the last several years. So, it'll be another Christmas show. But, uh, I I don't know what we're going to do, really. I'm not even sure if I'm going to be around for New Year's Eve or not. I don't haven't heard of any plans, so if, if there are no plans, then I'll be here. <laughs> Daily, but that is a plan. <laughs> yeah, the, well, I had there was some talk about maybe doing something, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So if it happens, fine. If it doesn't, then then I'll be here. Well, Pastor Daly, by the way, is starting to post. He's starting to post today uh, some year-end review programs. I figured as much. I saw a couple today, but I hadn't had a chance to go get them. Yeah, one I might already have them. I'm not sure. And you may have had the 55 one before. You did yeah. one on 1955 that Frank Goss narrated. Yeah, I, I can't tell you whether I have it without looking at it. But Frank Goss narrated it. Now, uh. now we know him, of course, as a, one of the great old-time radio CBS announcers from Hollywood. Yep. Yep. Uh, but that that's on. And uh, what else is going on? Remember on the Beacon site, the 1970-71 uh, uh, All-Star Parade of Bands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have to go get those if we haven't. 
So, Patricia, have you had a chance? Have you had a chance to listen to some of the Christmas music yet? I have not. Okay. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done much of anything. All of my um, music files are over on the big computer, and the guys came by today and said, "We promise we'll do it this week." So they'll get me set up with my computer. And then I can now, do you have anything. Dropbox on your small computer too? Um. Yeah, I do. Okay, I put that Christmas chronology in there for you. Oh, I don't know if you saw it already, yet. It's already up there. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, it is, I put it in the last time we talked about it. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I need remembers. <laughs> I need yeah, remembers. I'm, I, maybe it was Sunday or Monday. I've forgotten now. Sunday or speaking Monday. Of, I did it. Speaking of Jack Webb, you were talking about him. I just heard on Red the family, one family theater he did in 1950. Oh. The short career of Dexter Cole, I think was the name of it. He and William Conrad both starred in it. Wow. Yeah, it was in I, I, I remember hearing it, but it's been so long, I don't remember what it was about. It was about a, 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 a man who had to work for a corrupt political machine. And Conrad didn't, was... Didn't Bill Conrad play great cooks? Yeah, he did. He really did. He was a muscle man, and this he was the head of the machine, and Jack Webb was like his flunky. You know, in some ways, I think... Bill Conrad better doing no character than he was as Matt Dillon. He loved playing heavies. He loved playing the bad guys because it gave him so much more room to stretch. Yeah, and even the um, <clears throat> those, those characters in Nightbeat, who's necessarily not necessarily the bad guy or the good guy, or sort of the the subject of the story. Those are always like the yeah. fighter, like the fighters, the boxers, yeah. those types of mm-hmm. personality. He was so good at that. The, yes, he was. The two classics with William Conrad on Nightbeat was episode three, A World All His Own, about that punch-drunk fighter. Right. Um, uh-huh. The one, you know the one I mean from February 20th, 1950. Um, I, well, I didn't know that, but I remember the storyline, yeah. And uh, and I, well, it, was, it was in another one about the football player in the syndicate. That was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was in one, uh, the, I think it was the Reformer. Remember when the ladies wanted to Love corruption out of town. Yes. And he was the heavy in that one. Yeah. Another one that he was really good in was so many of the escapes where he played heavies. Um, oh, he he was so good in escape. Really good. Well, one of my favorites was one called, uh, well, of course, the classic one was with him and Jack Webb, Poison, where he played this mm-hmm. bit. And remember this mm-hmm. Indian doctor mm-hmm. played by Jay Novella about the crate mm-hmm. snake? Yes. Conrad played the bigot. And it was one of the outstanding performances of his his radio career. And he also was in a um, one of my favorite escapes, the first escape I ever heard, in fact, Pressure, the one about the submarine in World War II. Right. He was the submarine right. captain. Yep. Which was very good. It was. It was very good. And so, yeah, his heavy parts. I don't think anyone could have done Dylan better than him. But his heavy parts were uh, certainly well done. When he mm-hmm. was, did not play a nice guy. We've had him as our actor of the month on several occasions, and I'm not sure that we've ever played the same show twice. He did so many good things that it was so easy to find material. Really easy. Yeah. You know, one reason they were, according as I understand it, 
from the book and from that special, they weren't even sure if Conrad was right for Dylan because he was on radio so much. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. They'd had, as he said, they'd had it up to here, you know, where with William Conrad, with Bill. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, I think Patricia's favorite, John Dana, could have made a very good Matt Dillon. I don't. Offered the part. I agree. No, I don't think so. Because uh, uh, I don't think he was forceful enough. Who, who was that? John Daner. John Daner. He was off. He could be, though. What's that? He, play, he did play in the third audition. You know, there right. is a third audition out now. Yes, correct. But when you hear Daner as a bad guy, I think he could be very forceful in that. Mm-hmm. He can. He ran the whole spectrum. Yeah, I just don't think he would have been as forceful as he needed to be for Matt Dillon. But it's, it's, oh, yes, he could. Oh, uh, no, he couldn't. <laughs> oh, I Apparently think he Raymond could. Burr was. He looked like a great cowboy, too. According to Norman MacDonald, Raymond Burr was offered the part. I, I think Raymond Burr could have done it. Yeah. Hmm. And even Robert Stack was offered. According to that special, Robert Stack yeah. was even considered. But remember. You know, it's very difficult. We we have it going in from hindsight because we've heard Conrad, and whether we like to do it or not, we compare him to everybody else. And so I'm going by what I heard from his voice. And I, I think, you know, Dana would have been good. I just don't think he would have been as good. I think, I think probably Raymond Burr would have been better. I'll tell you another person that I think would have been really good. Would have been John McIntyre. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, you know, he was my, of all the people who played Wild Bill Hickok, and I include Guy Madison, John Dana, yeah. various people, McIntyre on those two gun smokes, and on, on the one gun smoke and on that one frontier gentleman, Aces and Eights, where he played Hickok. He, to yeah. me, I don't have, of course, we have no idea what Wild Bill Hickok really sounded like, but McIntyre. His voice, to me, fit my imagination of what Wild Bill Hickok would have sounded like. Yeah. He was that good. Uh, you know who also would have been good? But he wasn't a, co he wasn't a dramatic actor. Uh, what's his name? He played He played uh, Corliss Archer's father. Um, big, deep, name, big, now. deep, deep voice. Oh, and he, boy. Uh, I can't think of his name, but and he I should know it too. Yeah, he he had the voice to do it. I, I I've never heard him try it, so I don't know what it would have sounded like. He had a great big deep voice. What was his name? Yeah, remember? I'll find I know who you mean though. Yeah. And when I hear him, Patricia will look it up. Okay, my um, question. Let me see here. Frank Martin, Fred, yep. Fred Shields. Yes, Fred Shields. Fred Shields. Yeah. Who? Fred, Fred, Shields. Fred Shields. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he would have been. He, he had. He had. A, he had a um, good voice. Okay. What about Joe Moore? Could Joe Moore have played a Matt Dillon? Oh yes, he could. Yeah. You know, oh, the, I but I, so. I thought. I, I I don't know if he does. If he did, the problem with Gerald Moore was as a character actor. I don't know if he could do accents or dialects. He was because he didn't do many. He, he was, he was fluent pretty much in a French. Voice. He was fluent in French, fluent in German, and 
because he grew up in New York, he probably could do a New York accent yeah. really well. Yeah, I right. think he oh, could. I think he had good itinerary or a good um, repertoire of voices and accents. It's funny. He never. I don't think he was ever in Gunsmoke, was he? I don't think so. But see, I think of him. I wonder as, why. I I think of him as a bad guy in the luxury theater, and right. that could be pretty intimidating the way he could be a bad guy. You know. Yes, I I think he could have pulled him off. Well, you know, it was interesting that when when Philip Marlowe first came to radio, God. Raymond Chandler, from what Dunning says anyway, for, and we read it from some letters Chandler had written to Earl Stanley Gardner, he was not impressed with Van Heflin, but he was very happy when he said he liked Marlowe's, I mean, Moore's portrayal as Marlowe. The only thing that I don't know, I, I know Gerald Moore was apparently, according to a lot of people we talked to, a very no-nonsense kind of guy and played things very straight. I, Matt Dillon could also be playful. Mm -hmm. yeah. There was a, a a a laughter to his character sometimes when it, like when he was talking to Kitty and things like that. I, I don't know. Well, I we, wonder if, if Gerald Moore could have pulled that off. Remember when he was a French teacher on, on Miss Yeah, on our Miss Brooks, yeah. Yeah. He had, he had, a, he had a fun comic approach to his lines in many of the the settings that he was in in there. Yeah, he, he might have been able to do it. We'll never know, I think, obviously. I think he could. But I, could we hop back to Corliss Archer for a second? Yes. Sure. Harry Archer was the one who did the longest run there. I am stunned. It was originally played, Corliss Archer's father was originally played by Bob Bailey. Wow. If we believe oh. Wikipedia. And next uh, time... Next to Fred Shields and then Frank Martin. Yeah, wow. Uh, well, what I've been able to track, it's hard to, you know, Bob Bailey is one of these sort of mystery people that don't, we don't have a lot of biography, but the notice I can figure him out, he was in Chicago. For a in, long time. In, in the early 40s before he moved to Hollywood. And right. I don't, see, I think Horace Archer was around 42. Yeah. Right. So, yes. I, I would almost look at, I almost, would he almost get Dunning's book out on, on the air, get to verify? I, that'd be my first. Uh, yeah. Now, did Janet mm -hmm. play it all the way from the beginning? No. No. She did not. There was another gal who is, in uh, fact, um, uh, Sean, Sean Clancy have tracked her down for me. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who that is. I uh, forgot her name. She's in her 90s now. And she, I think she was the original Horace Archer. And then After they, the audition? Yeah. And then they just dumped her out, outright. They just, yeah. I guess Fred Schubert, I'm trying to think of the creator, just didn't think she was going to play. And, and recently, I think this was going to be a problem for her, according to Janet. Fred's daughters really wanted to play the, the role, so he probably had to really wiggle himself out of that hole. Um, this, though, on Dylan, I thought Conrad was certainly better than the two people who played Mark Dylan in the main auditions. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you think that, um, I mean, uh, first of all, it wasn't a very, I mean, looking back at it now, it wasn't, and Ron, by the way, I talked to Ron yesterday. He, he was, he's doing a lot better. Yeah, I talked to him yesterday a couple times. And he's doing a lot better. 
he's going to be doing a presentation, in fact, on the 4th. And I gave him some suggestions for the presentation. Um, but he's doing fine. But we, we've talked about this, about the audition, and we're both glad that that script was never used on the actual series. You know, about Gaojai, you know, Mark Dillon. Yes, Gaujai. right. Yeah. I thought the worst thing about that, the first one, and it, and it wasn't Rye Bilberry's performance as Dillon that was bad. It was that silly song at the beginning about, oh, a uh, man rides on the western plains. Uh-huh. Wasn't that kind of a dumb song? <laughs> I don't know why it was in. but It wasn't they, in the uh, second one. No, they took it out. Yeah. See, I, something I wanted to mention about Gunsmoke, I think we could come up with somebody could play Matt Dillon, but I don't know if we really could come up with anybody Chester. Anybody? I don't either. Carly was just so. No. I don't think no. of any other voice in my head that would have that same nuance that Parley put hmm. into the role. Although I did think that Paul Freeze, the one time he subbed for Doc, did a pretty good job. So a different interpretation, yeah. but pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's about all for tonight. I know yeah. other people might be wanting to call, but. It's always a pleasure talking to all of you. Are you and you'll be on Blue at 9, right? Yep. Right. Patricia will run off the bed and Larry and I will hold out the fort. More, more Christmas shows tonight, right? I have, the first thing I have queued up is the Cavalcade of America Ball Wild Christmas. I always have liked oh, that story. It's a great show. It's a great show. Yeah, it is. Um, also, I, I thought that the... Um, I'm glad you were able to finally, on Sunday night, by the way, to finally find that turning the dial. Yeah, it was just my accident, you know, what can I say? But what, Dr. Beale really enjoyed it, too. I think he was very surprised about the whole thing. It, it, was, a, it was a good setup for him. And he thought it was interesting that he had just heard that My Little Marjorie the previous day in Armed Forces. Sure. Yeah. Copy of that. Absolutely. You would enjoy that, Patricia. A man back in 53... Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, had a tape recorder and a radio, and he turned the dial, <clears throat> and just random dial turning, and you hear things like you hear some Christmas music and Bible readings, and you hear the close of the Bing Crosby show and the opening of My Little Margie and some news, and it was just kind of fun hearing the dial turned, Eddie Fisher singing. Um, that sounds really creative and great. So where is the recording? Who's got it? Walden, or maybe you can... We have a lot, a lot of us have it. We have it, so, okay. Yeah. I can't remember where it yeah. came from. Do you remember? I think it was in... Birdback? No. No? It was, it was in uh, just a folder. I copied it, so I have it on my desktop. No, I, I know that, but I'm trying to remember where it, who, who who originally did it. I don't remember. I don't think it was Birdback. I don't know where it came from. It was some Christmas... You said it was some file of Christmas show. Yes. Thanks. And also, you might want to send her, since if she, since we, uh, those other things we played the other day, you might want to send her, oh, oh the life and life in the world, the Truman speech, and the Eisenhower speech from Christmas mm-hmm. Eve. You might, you might enjoy those. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. You all keep up the good work. You too. Keep Thank up you. The work, Thank Larry. you, Jim. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing so well. I can tell the difference. My goodness. Well, I still get spells occasionally. I had a coughing spell today, but yeah, it just take you know it's part of my life now. It just but but like I said before, considering the alternative, I can't really complain. No, 
Yeah. Yeah. See you later. Still. Yeah, okay, Jim. Thank you. Hi. Okay, Larry Ann Walden. Yes. I found just now a decent biography about Bob Bailey and found out that he not only did a lot of radio shows, of course, but he also starred in seven feature films, and two of them starred Laurel and Hardy. Right. I knew about the Laurel and Hardy because he mentioned it. Uh huh. But now, where did you find the biography? Where is it? It's up on a place called Revolvi. I've never heard of it, R-E-V-O-L-V-Y, but I'm copying and pasting it into an email. So I'll okay. send it to you and Walden at the same time. Okay. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I have I have a biography on him, but it's not in depth, and it's not his, It's not really good with regard to the radio mm-hmm. uh, credits, so this should be good. Yeah. So, okay, well, I will finish that in just a second. Cool. So, Thank you. Okay. Okay. And I also have some great quotes from Bob Hope. Hooray for us. When you're ready for them, let me know. Ready. <laughs> Hold on. I've got one paragraph to paste here. <laughs> Dear me. You guys are, are really. Um, Hold on. Don't go away. Don't go away. Okay. Now I go to my paper. Okay. These, these were in a, a chron- chronological order of quotes. This one was on turning 70. His quote was, I still chase women, but only downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on turning 80, that's a time in your life when even your birthday suit needs pressing. <laughs> on turning 90, you know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the cake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on turning 100, I don't feel old. In fact, I don't feel anything until noon. Then it's time for my nap. <laughs> On giving up his early career of boxing, he said, I ruined my hands in the ring. The referee kept stepping on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On never winning an Oscar, welcome to the Academy Awards, or as it's called in my home, Passover. (laughs) On golf, golf is my profession. Show business is just to pay the greens fees. (laughs) That was pretty good. On president. That was good. Pardon? I said, yeah, I like that. Yeah, on presidents. I have performed for 12 presidents, but I only entertained six of them. Uh, I wonder which six he, he didn't get a warm reception on. You want to take a hit? Oh, I have, gosh, I have no idea. I know he and Ronald Reagan were, were okay, yeah. really okay yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, okay, on receiving the Congressional Gold Medal. Do we have a gold medal in? in yeah, no, I don't know what it's for. I, we do. I don't think it. Well, it's it's um, people who have made contributions to society and who like Oprah Winfrey. You know, mm-hmm. she's got a very strong heart for the underprivileged and does a lot of work in that area. So she got one. But I, don't, I didn't think it was called a gold medal. Congressional medal. I don't of know. honor. I'll, I thought it was like the Freedom Medal or. or, or. Yes, well, yeah. yes, yes, yes. It was, metal. and Obama gave out a ton of them. You know, I remember uh, uh, Vince Gulley got one, and I right. thought that mm-hmm. was called a freedom. Yes, it is. It, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That is the name of it. But I don't, So I don't know which medal they're talking about here. But he said, I feel very humble, but I think I have the strength to... Uh, oh, let me do this again. I'm, I feel very humble at having gotten the medal, but I think I have the strength of character to fight it. So I thought that one's pretty good. 
He's yeah. not humble any longer. Yeah. On his family's early poverty, four of us slept in one bed. When it got cold, my mother threw another brother on. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. Brothers. There were seven boys in that family. Right. Wow. That's how I learned to dance, waiting for the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is on his early failures. I would not have had anything to eat if it wasn't for the stuff the audience threw at me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty good. So those are my Bob Hope. You're on with Patricia and Larry. Yeah, Hi, John. I just wanted to tell you from the very first, her very first quote, I knew who it was. You did? Oh, did you really? Yeah, when you said when he chases women downhill, I knew right away it was Bob Hope. <laughs> oh, I would have thrown George Burns as a possibility in there. So I knew right away it was Bob Hope. You knew. You knew. You're so smart. How are you, John? This is John in Maryland. Yeah, I had I, you told me to call tonight. My I got a good checkup from the doctor. Good, excellent. There's only a twenty percent chance of cancer, but oh wow, that's that's pretty low. Yeah, he wants to see me every three months. My mm-hmm. it was normal. Excellent. Oh, John, I feel so good about that. You feel you feeling okay about it? Yeah. He, when he came in, he said, I got some good news for you. So uh, I said, it was about time I got good news. <laughs> yeah, you've really been through a bunch of stuff. So did you come up with a story for us tonight? The only one I could think of offhand was my co-worker named Otis Wilkins, O-T-I-S, Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. There was a man, one of his characters was named Otis, Otis Campbell. And uh, but I, I remind, he told me this himself. This isn't something that I experienced. He said during World, he got drafted in 1942, and uh, he lived in the back hills of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. He was a real down homer, and. Uh, it sounds like the Sergeant York tale, but it wasn't his day. He was not a conscientious objector like Sergeant York was. But anyway, this this caught me kind of funny. It was funny when I heard it that uh, he got his draft notice in the mail, and his in them days he picked him up on a bus. I think Sergeant York had to go on a train, mm-hmm. but uh, they there was a bus that came to his hometown, which is. One horse town, and uh, anyway, his mother packed him a lunch, packed his duffel bag, and she, and she says to him, and this is the funny part: don't forget, don't forget to take your shooting iron. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to the bus stop and he's carrying his duffel the duffel bag. His mother packed it and his rifle, and they. People at the bus terminal says, oh, you can't take a weapon on here. He says, well, you go, I'm going to war. i got to have my shooting iron. And uh, they, they, they told him that they would return it to his house. So he said, oh. we're going to give you a brand new rifle. <laughs> but that's oh, she. He called it his shooting iron. <laughs> of course. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, he was from the back hills. Of uh, West Virginia. Uh huh. 
that's the only one I could think of all hand. I, I, I was laying in bed last night, but I, I was under duress because my best friend had passed away. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I'm going to, I miss him a lot. and uh, I know him for 69 years. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry. And I was thinking about all the things we did together, and I didn't have much time to devote to thinking up a, a war story. Sure. Yeah. But I, I got some more. I, when I get around to it, I'll... I'll... Let me throw something out, out to the panel. I, just, I have one name in mind. Who do you think was the most famous conscientious ejector in... Oh, I blew that word. In World War II. Charles Lindbergh. Or, or Lou Ayers. I would think of Lou Ayers. Lou Ayers and Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, but Lou Ayers wanted him to serve in the medical corps. Yeah, he was a uh, medic. Right. But, uh, but those were the two I can remember. And according to oh. Patricia, that's still a pretty hazardous duty, just to get out there in the battlefield to pick up guys to bring them back in. That was not a... Yeah, they're not armed. Th that's not an easy way to go, to serve the country. My mother had an uncle that was a medic, and uh, he was born. He was born in Germany, and uh, he spoke the language very well. Of course, he was born there, and he was a medic in World War II. His name was uh, Schmidt, S C H M I D T, mm -hmm. and uh, when he was done caring for the wounded Americans or whoever he cared for, he asked his remaining officer if he could go treat some of the civilians and he said why of course so he would go in and he wasn't a doctor but they called him hair doctor hmm. and and he helped some of the civilians who were wounded or killed under you know the bombing raids and all he went in there and he stroked up struck up a relationship with this one woman there and uh he was married. He had a wife back here in the United States, but he struck up a relationship with this one woman. And uh, he was very fond of her. And after the war, he went back. He wanted to show his wife where he served during World War II. And he took her back there, and uh, he told her about this woman. And she said, I understand. And uh, he said he felt, really felt sorry for her. He struck up a relationship with her. And uh, he says, I'm going to go back to her. And he went back to her home, and she was still still alive, still living there. It was all remodeled and everything then. It, it was devastated during the war. Yeah. But he went back, and she let him go alone. She says, I won't go with you. you. You go alone. And he went back, and he rang the bell on the gate, and she came out, and she almost dropped dead with seeing him. And uh, she didn't th think that she would ever see him again. And uh, he stayed and visited with her for about, oh, about an hour, hour and a half. And then he, she told, he, he told her that, you know, his wife was with him and she, she wanted to, him to come back and visit with, with you, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's also a World War II yeah, spread. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, no one in the, in the bag, John, what can I say? Yeah, his, they called him Hair Doctor. He treated the civilians because that was that was his homeland, you know. And yeah. I thought that was kind of cute too, but uh, yeah, hair doctor. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But see, he, he was told his wife that he struck up a relationship with her, you know, due to the fact that he was treating the people of the village. You know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, John, I am so glad you're feeling better, and especially that you got some good reports from your doctor. That is so nice to hear. That's a Christmas present for all of us. Yeah, he, he said my full skeletal scan was no, completely normal. Reason, wow. The reason I can't walk is because of my RA, rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah. And my gout. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, those those are beasts. Those are really beasts to live with. Yeah, and it's been one year ago. I laid it was laying flat on my back in the hospital on Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember. I remember. So, okay. Well, John, thank you so much for calling and letting us know how you're doing, and thank you for the stories. You're always you've always got such great stories. So next time you call, you have to have a World War II story for us. Okay. Okay, and tell Lauren I listened last night to all the Jack Benny. Oh, I'm glad you did, John. Oh, John, that was past your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was so under duress, you know, from my yeah. time. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a little escape for me. Well, I'm glad. At least you stayed awake. Larry slept through it, but at least you stayed awake. So I did not sleep through it. <laughs> I was asleep after you started doing Ray Bream stuff, and who cares? Because I was in on that, so I heard it. <laughs> And the thing about the funny thing about it is, I heard all those things live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you called us, you called us on a couple of occasions. Yeah, but John, remember when the broadcast happened in the forties? Yeah. Well, those broadcasts, yes, yeah. But yeah. he had such great writers. I still laugh when I hear those shows. Joyful, sir. Yeah. Genuine gags and all. I liked it when. He asked him what Gladys Gabisco wanted for Christmas. And he says to Mary Livingston, you think she liked lipstick? And she says, does she have lips? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so funny. I remember that very well. Oh, yeah. But you guys do a great job, and I hope I'll get the call back again. But I'll let you go. Cause All right, John. Another call. Well, have a merry, merry, happy new year in case we don't hear from you before then. Okay, thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Bye-bye, John. John. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071 is our number. We are awake and live. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Bill is- One or the other. <laughs> yeah, take we'll, we'll, we'll take a poll if you want, if you're not yeah. sure. Yeah. Bill, Bill is Mike Sandy's on vacation, and Bill... Taking some time off because of stuff. Hello there, you're on with Larry and Patricia. Well, hello from Alabama. Oh, oh who's that? Hi there. Hmm. Who's that? I don't know. It's for Christmas. It <laughs> was <laughs> the night before Christmas, right? <laughs> Hi. Tell them what you did to me late before. What? What did I do? Uh, she called here because I didn't call her on time, Uh-oh. and I had already told her yesterday that I wouldn't call until tonight when I came upstairs before the show. Well, I'm uh, worried, and I forgot. <laughs> I know. You are so sweet. Yes, you, you did. You did. You were worried about me. Yes, so. I, I just, I do. I worry about you. 
Oh, thank you. Oh. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I, I heard your okay. bot. I heard I, I heard your bot got to your sister. I what? Your box got to your particular oh, to your finally. sister. Oh yes, finally! I was so happy that she got it. Good. Yeah, boy. Have you taken it out of the box yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, is, I did. Is it yes, up and running yet? What? And everything fits. Everything Good. fits, yeah. She got me some bunches of clothes, which is really nice. So, yeah, and everything fits. Wait a minute. You which is wait, double wait, nice. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. Barbara, you didn't buy Patricia's shoes, did you? Shoes? Shoes. Oh, heck no. Oh, I, we know better than that. Oh, no, I would okay. do that. I don't. I wouldn't want anybody buying me shoes. Really? I buy my own shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then your feet. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, I have to maintain um, uh, a certain amount of uh, decorum and, um, you know, style and fashion. And stuff like that there. I'm not sure decorum, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, style and fashion. Yes. Yes, this is good. Okay, so what do you remember about Jack Benny? Oh, um, well, I remember... Uh, um, a lot. Him, him, you know, the reruns, of course, on TV. And I remember his um, uh, violin playing. Mm-hmm. And I understand uh, that he was actually a very good violinist. He was. He was. He was great. He, just, well, he, he wasn't on... great, but he was very good. Yes. He was good. He was good. He, he studied uh, for orchestra and classical music. And he was very good, but he was not the Met uh, quality. But maybe the guys knew this. He played on a Stradivarius. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I did not know and, that. And then after he died, it was donated to the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic. And I don't I think know if they still have it I or think not. It's still there. I think it's Is still it still there? there? I think so. I'm I would hope so. Well, it wasn't a, a, a donated to uh, Smith Smithsonian Smith. No, that's it. No, Smithsonian. No, it wasn't. I, I oh, you tripped. Over, you, I went. You tripped over Smith. It, what, Pat? You tri- you tripped over a Smith. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, <laughs> I, geez, I wonder why. Yeah. Um, I, I would so. see uh, Smithsonian um, the last time I went to Arlington. And it was just absolutely amazing. I had never been there, and it just, uh, wow. What did you see? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, the um, uh, Natural History Museum, Uh Mm -hmm. that was was where uh, we went. Uh, We didn't have time, actually, for anything else, but it was just uh, really absolutely amazing. When I went there at 81, I passed by Charlie. Charlie McCarthy was on display. Oh, wow. And Lindbergh Plain was in the in the rafter. They had that hanging from the ceiling. And then they had all these different coins, you know, going back to the stone, where we used to make coins out of stone and things like that. Those are some of the things I remember mm-hmm. as a kid, what they had on display. But we didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of time. I think I read 
they have so much stuff in storage that if they took it out and put it out every every day, it would take three months to rotate the whole thing, just in storage. Well, when I went, it was, um, oh gosh, a, about oh, six or eight months after uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And when we walked in the front door, this humongous flag from the second story down to the first story. And um, I was wondering, and there was a crowd starting to gather, and I thought, well, whoa, I wonder what's going on. And I asked this woman, uh, do you know what's, what's happening here? And she said, yes, the um, West Point display was opening, and it was, they were celebrating the, the fact that it was opening that day. And the flag that was draped down was the flag that was flying over the Pentagon when it was hit. Oh, wow. And that kind of, you know, kind of got to my heart. Yeah. And they, well, I think I mentioned at one time that my husband and I were married at West Point. And they came out and, and the choir came out and sang um, Battle Into the Republic. And it was my husband's favorite military song yeah. and it it was just uh it it, it kind of you know got to me sure. but it was uh it was quite amazing and i i was so glad that we were able to uh see that you remember what war the battle hymn of the republic of written during what, what war uh well oh it had to have been the civil war that's right very good barbara mm-hmm. thank you very good eighteen sixty four. Me Don't ask her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, I just wanted to say hello. Is that Larry or John? No, it's Larry. Oh, hi, Larry. Hi, Barbara. How are you? John's in, John's in the other room doing something. We're going to go to San Diego in March for a oh. conference, and he is looking to see which workshops we can go to. Uh-huh. So that's what he's doing tonight. Can you go to the zoo? No. I think the zoo is here. We don't need to go to the zoo. Oh, oh what? Oh, you know what? We used what? to live in San Diego County. Yeah. And um, we would go to the zoo. We had tickets for the zoo and the, the wild animal park. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We we went oh, I... weeks after they opened the tiger uh, exhibit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it, it's it's enclosed in glass, the tigers. And um, one of the tigers actually came right up to the glass. Wow. Yeah, it was so amazing because I could almost, you know, I mean, I could stand there and reach down and pet it if there was no glass there. Uh-huh. But it was, he was so close that you could actually see a little gash in his back where he was probably playing with an, or fighting with um, uh, another tiger, but you, he was so close you could actually count the layers of skin. Well, maybe you should do a pet tiger. She's pet everything else in the world, so. <laughs> I used to visit a tiger. His name was Caleb. He was a Siberian tiger, Ooh. and he was in, yeah. Oh, is that he was in the, that um, liked you very much? Oh, yes, he liked me enough to spray me. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to. 
it, but I thought, oh my gosh, it's in my camera, it's in my hair, it's everywhere. And Pete Karen, who had the preserve, said, that means he likes you. I said, oh gosh, I really like him to like me a little bit less. But uh, yes, that was Caleb. Mm-hmm. And I used to scratch his whiskers. <laughs> I will. I will leave you. And um, you have a wonderful night. You too, Barbara. Thank you. And we'll ha- let somebody else call in, okay? You bet. Okay. okay. You well, happy New night. Year. You, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 7-4-5-4-5-2-0-7-1. on the West Coast. Already? Yeah. I'm yeah, I guess it is. I'm just and I really... I really did scratch Caleb's whiskers. I believe it. I was just thinking. Remember when the koala bears came from China? Yeah. And I think they were in the San, San Diego Zoo. If we do the San Diego Maybe Zoo. Maybe so. I've never been sprayed by bears. any animal. Yeah, koalas are from Australia. Right. And the panda bears were from China. Which ones came to the San Diego Zoo? Right, that's what I'm wondering. I've never been sprayed by any animal, as far as I know. So. <laughs> It's um, the only one I've ever been sprayed by. <laughs> I closely averted a catastrophe with a skunk one time. Ooh. But, um, oh, oh boy. I, I, I walked right into his path, and I thought, how do you get out of this? You know, and he turned around, and he raised his tail, and, oh, brother. So wow. I just little baby steps backwards, and I was going in the right direction. So I don't know where he scampered to, but he didn't get me, and I was very pleased with that. Well, Not many Oh, Patricia, it's the modern-day Dr. Seuss. You know, she's she, no Dr. Doolittle. She talking Former. Nice yeah. going, yeah. What well, nice going, Walden? Dr. Doolittle is that makes more sense. <laughs> Former, former, not current. Yeah. Well, you're the only one in our family that got paid to cover golf and play with the animals. What can I say? <laughs> That's true. And I did. I, I had really good time with them, and then one bit me, and that was it. That was the end. The end. So, so I am still in the chat room. I will be there for thirty minutes more. If Anybody wants, in there? No, just me. No. Oh. I'm all by myself. I've been in there a few times. We need to go through there again because it's been a while. Yeah. To yeah. make sure that it's really accessible because it has been quite a while since I've been in there. It's accessible because I use my old password and my old ID. So it's it's still working. Is it, yeah, but is, is it accessible for blind people? Oh, ooh, uh, I can't it tell. It used I to be, know. but I haven't been in there a long time. Don Rachel, when they made the move over, he worked with me, and I think it's... it's well, I think, I think there were problems that you didn't see because I remember talking to him about it, but I don't know if they got resolved. They also now have forums on the website too. The yesterusa.com. I've never messed with the forums either. That's both been a new Don Richard. Yeah, uh, and a lot of it depends on the on the browser you use. So maybe tomorrow we'll go in there and look. Yeah. We also have to go in tomorrow with Kim at some point with Kim. Yeah. So look at uh, Zoom. Okay, we can do that. That way we can maybe we can play. So I have to go see what else I have for you, right? Sure. Right. Okay. Let me see. Do you know how December 25th was designated as the Christmas celebration day? Wasn't he – well, don't they say he was born near the beginning of December? 
know, I don't, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I hear, but I don't know yeah. if anybody really knows it. Theory I've heard they said Christ was born in the spring. That's one theory I've heard too. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So Every, why do we well, celebrate it in December? Everybody can have a theory. Somebody is right in there. I think the reason why we celebrate the 20th because it, it was like um, it was a holiday for other cultures at the same time. Well, that's true. It was um, the winter solstice mm-hmm. uh, came a couple of days before December 25th, but right. in three in the year 336. <laughs> It was officially celebrated for the first time because Pope Julius I assigned December 25th to celebrate Christmas. So I didn't know it was that cut and dry. Well, wow. that's, what, that's what it R says, and huh. when it goes back that far. And incidentally, we are no longer using B.C. and A.C., we are, well, because they've changed it in some areas, not in some areas, they're trying to change it officially. Uh, they will now use CE, where we used to say Anno Domini, or in the year of our Lord, 336 mm-hmm. A.D. And it's, C, it's CE now for Common Era. Oh and goodness. what we used to use as B.C., they now use as B.C.E., before Common Era. Now you go figure that one out. It's that's that makes sense that they would do that because everything else that people try and do is stupid. So why not? <laughs> why not Good why not be stupid? grief! Yes. Stupid Give me a break. Oh, I know, I know. It'll be interesting to see how, whether or not it actually happens that people refer to this. But you know, I found this across. I found BCE somewhere. I must have been on one of the Smithsonian newsletters. And I thought, BCE, what the heck is that? So I went out and looked it up, and there it was. That was the definition of it, and that's how I found Christmas. Common era. How ridiculous. Common era. Yeah, right. Hello. Okay. So, okay, we've got more candy stuff. You want candy stuff? Like like Robert three and a half tons of red, white, and blue jelly beans? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. What was the beginning of Tootsie Rolls? Uh, probably the the, the uh, shipment made to Walden's house. <laughs> Hadn't thought about that yet. During World, <laughs> during World War II, American soldiers were given Tootsie Rolls because in their in their rations because the candy could withstand weather conditions and it wouldn't melt and squish or freeze up or anything like that, and they liked them. So there. Uh. Okay, Hershey Kisses have had the white paper strip coming out of the top of the wrapper for ages and ages. But the little flag is actually called a plume. Don't forget that. We will have um, a test on that. That's part of the common era. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And it was originally introduced to, to distinguish the candy from all of the knockoff imitation type stuff. They're the only ones that put the little white strip in there. Yeah? Okay. From 1907 to 1921, can you imagine? For 20 years, the Hershey's Kisses, those little itsy-bitsy, teensy-weensy candies, were wrapped by hand. Wow. I don't I don't think their market could have been huge by then. No. I mean, it didn't say anything about... 
what the average output was per pair of hands who were wrapping this candy. I don't know if they put out, you know, 100 an hour or yeah, to think, a minute. I was just thinking of the famous TV episode where Lucy and her friends were trying to keep up with the candy vin yep. the candy machine. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to keep the box in the box. Oh, oh yes, yeah. oh yes, and they kept stuffing them in their mouth yeah. and down their shirts. Yeah. And they were, yeah. and the boss was so pleased that they did such a good job. They cranked up the speed. <laughs> so. Okay, now Snickers. You know the candy bar Snickers. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, that was invented by Frank Mars, from the one who started the Mars candy bars. Tell me how the name Snicker came about. Um, they they probably got their first report back on market growth and snickered. <laughs> Very good. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, my guess is it, it's something to do with peanuts. I always <laughs> think of peanuts and never snicker bars. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. The, he, uh, Frank Mars named the candy bar after his horse, which was named Snickers. Oh. I mean, this is all useless but fun. The lollipop, invented in 1908. How did that get its name? Well, somebody wanted to invent a candy mm. for kids, and they figured the way kids can eat, eat anything on a stick, so they get called. Where did the name Where did the name come from? Well, they invented this little this little circle thing, just stuck it on a stick, and it looked like a mm -hmm. lollipop. <laughs> okay. I got a right, feeling make, that's not right. Uh, did you, <laughs> Did you make any sense out of that one? Well, yeah, you can't very well identify what something is called based on, you know, before it's invented. So, I'm right. not it, sure. Uh, it was also named off, off, uh, after a horse. It was a oh, horse. really? Lollipop. In 1908, okay. there was a horse named Lollipop. Okay. And Germans today consume twice as much candy as Americans. That is, that just blows me away. Well, no wonder, really? no wonder they're healthier than we are. That's true. They eat dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is very good for you. Is that because they give it to their horses? <laughs> they give dark chocolate to their horses? Yeah. That's why they consume so much. Oh. All right. Whatever you say. Yeah. Can, can I write that down? I'll quote you on that. Well, horses have to be part of this because they have been for the last two answers. <laughs> well... <sighs> Okay. <laughs> Just horsing around, sorry. Okay, whatever you say. Yep. Because you never tell, you never try to put something over on me. Of course not. Ever. not. Never. <laughs> no. Larry, Christmas is over. You're safe in fitting. Uh, well. Oh, uh, well. Okay. Now, they're, this, can, this is candy land type stuff, the Candy Makers Association of the world, I guess. I don't know what. But they're saying that less than 2% of all calories in the American diet come from candy. And they're talking about how little that is. Well, excuse me, 2% <laughs> in the diet, um, that's a pretty hefty hit, you know? It is. So 
but they're trying to make it sound little because I, it's less I than two percent. Would be more than two percent of of all the calories in the American diet. Yeah. So if you eat a chocolate bunny, that's worth a million calories. Yeah. You know this this is on average. Right. Yeah, so thinking, so they they take the aggregate number and divide it by the number of people. What? I, I guess I'm thinking of all the sugar cereal that all kids seem to eat anymore. I mean, all that kind of stuff. You, see, I, I, you know, I, you're right. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. I'll have to call them on it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know who I'd call, but I'll try. <laughs> okay. For Halloween, Americans buy 600 million pounds of candy. I keep somebody employed. Indeed, the dentist. Yeah. Okay. Um, the United States produces one and three quarters billion candy canes every year. I didn't have one candy cane this year. I, I didn't either. either. That's that's a lot of candy canes. Yeah. That's a lot of candy canes. Yeah. I, and they say I, ninety percent of them are sold in the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, what other time of the year do you want a candy cane? Yeah. I, I don't want a candy cane. No. No. They'll, they'll hurt your teeth. Okay. 65% of American candy bars that we have today were created more than 50 years ago. Like the brand and everything, I guess. So, my guess is... Mm -hmm. I, guess. Yeah, I guess. Hershey's Chocolate Bar was the first American chocolate bar. Made its debut in 1894. What do you think it is in terms of popularity in candy bars? One to ten. Where do you think the Hershey's candy bar is sitting? Oh, it's probably about four. That's exactly right. Number four on the list. How about that? Now, I will tell you the largest chocolate bar, and nobody called me. The largest chocolate bar was built in the United Kingdom in 2011, 12 1,770 pounds. 12,000 pounds of chocolate, and they didn't call us. So I, wonder I don't how know who ate, how thick that, who ate it. I wonder how thick that candy bar was. I saw a picture of it. It was a couple of feet high. I don't know how many feet long, but oof, it hasn't been topped. It was the... I don't know how they figured this one out, but it was the... Equivalent weight of five giraffes or one <laughs> African elephant. Why people would go, why would they go through that <laughs> to figure that out? So anyway, that is my candy stuff for the night. What else would you like? Mm, anything I have, right? Sure. Let me see what we've got going here. I know I've got some stuff. We you. are live at 16 before 9 o'clock, 714-545-2071. Patricia will be here for about another 15 more minutes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. The first big league game took place in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1935. And the crowd welcomed a special person who symbolically switched on the lights. From Washington, D.C. Who was it? Hmm. This was the first night game in Cincinnati. Go ahead, Larry. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
A crowd stood by as President Franklin D. Franklin, yes, symbolically, it was Franklin D. Roosevelt who symbolically switched on the lights from Washington D.C. That would make sense. That that makes sense. Okay, here's a presidential quote. (gasps) Are you getting tired of trivia? That's a trivia question. There's nobody really excited about this. Okay, presidential quote. The art of war is simple enough. Find out where your enemy is, get him as soon as you can, strike him as hard as you can, and keep on moving. That that sounds like Harry Truman. No. No? Mm-mm. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Is it Roosevelt? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> no? Sorry. No. No, it was not Roosevelt. Eisenhower? No. Earlier? Then I would give away some information. No, this isn't 20 questions. This is yesterday USA think tank going on here. Yeah, I guess so. Think tank. One more try. The art of war is simple enough. Find out where your enemy is. Get at him as soon as you can. Strike him as hard as you can, and keep moving on. Ronald Wilson Reagan. No, it was Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, wow. He was, talking, he was talking from first-person experience. Yeah. So yes. He was a pretty tough military man, wasn't he, Walden? Yeah. My mom is reading a book about him, a big book. He was a very shy man, but you think about it, how much blood and guts he was during the battlefield, but off, mm-hmm. off the battlefield. He was a very shy person. Yeah. Hello there, you mm. Patricia. Yeah. Hello there. Yeah, who? Yeah, what? Oh, I was, I was going to say Patton. <laughs> no. <laughs> Patton wasn't president. <laughs> <laughs> who is this? That's Barbara. It's Barbara, kidding? yeah. No. I'm going crazy here. I'm thinking it's got to be Patton. It's got to be Patton. All right, I got some. I got and some. The word. Joy. The question some. was president. President. Which president? Oh, I didn't hear that part. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Here's some Patton trivia question for you, Barbara. What? What was his nickname? Whose nickname? George Patton. Oh gosh. Um. <laughs> Elmer. <laughs> nope. Um, it, it character it's, it's not. It's not actually a name. It was a character from old time radio. It's a state of being. Uh, oh, you know I should know this, and I don't. I learned it from your sister. Your, your sister gave it to me a few a few years ago. The Green Hornet. Uh, seriously? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. And they had another name for him, Walden, and it was. It reflected the uniform. I think we hold blood and guts, but maybe it was blood no, and guts. No, no, blood and guts was. Uh, I can't remember, but it wasn't. He, he was not it, and it had to do with it had to do with the uniform he designed. He right. looked like a bellboy right. with silver buttons, and they swear when he put on the prototype uniform that the helmet he had was one of the football helmets from the Washington, <laughs> the Washington football yeah, I team. Think it was um, oh goodness gracious. You know, uh, you know, our, our, our Uncle Jimmy Weldon was, was part of Patton Troop? Yes, 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 yeah, I did know that. 
did you know that, that his um, his grave is um, set up? He's got some kind of mechanism there, like a, a rope or something, mm-hmm. that he if he, when he wakes up, he's going to pull that, and they're going to run and, and open up his grave. Oh. Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm sure we would have heard. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you go, but I just had to say that. <laughs> okay, you had to say something wrong. Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> you poor baby. <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye-bye. Wait, wait, state, oh, my which goodness. Which state was Patton born in? Say it again? Which state? What, what, of the 50 states, which one was he born in? I have no idea, but you'll probably say Nebraska. No, no it wasn't Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you ask for a state, it's Nebraska. He's a California boy. Really? Yeah, I think he was, about that? he was born out there like in San Bernardino or somewhere like that. Somewhere out mm-hmm. there. All right, let me, I'm looking for the extra name, and, and it's it's really a fun one because it, it reflects the the um, bellhop uniform. My dad, my dad was um, grew up with Peanut. Peanut was in uh, the hospital, the famous hospital scene where Pat and uh, flapped the soldier on the side to try to get his attention. And you know, Pat got a lot of bad press for about that. You know, striking somebody. And he smacked. Isn't he the one who smacked the soldier and told him yeah. to get up out of bed and get back to war? Yeah, yeah pretty much. And Peanut said it wasn't it wasn't the way it showed in the stream. He basically the guy was was in hysterics and Patton was trying to at that time that was the technique he used to try to bring yourself out. Of course that we have different strategies of handling that today. But that's what that's what Peanut said back. That's what he was, Patton was trying to do. Didn't work. You know. I, I, I really haven't looked up too much Pat. I, I think I think he was killed when the, in the Jeep track, and I'm thinking that I don't know if he saw the end of the war or was he killed just around August of '45. I, I don't remember exactly how. Um, you know, that yeah, occurs happened. I don't know either. I'm still trying to find his his other. Hmm, the Green Hornet, and, yeah, he did, uh, um, Patton was uh, Blood and Guts. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was Blood and Guts. Yeah. Um, Buck Rogers, that was it. Ah, hello, you're on the air. <laughs> hello, you guys. Hello, Celeste. Hi, Celeste. Hi, just doing a little trivia here. What is a famous word? that Grant literally invented, and it, we still use it today in politics every day. You hear about it, hear about it. You hear somebody call that name. What is it? Filibuster? Huh? Filibuster? No. No? It's a name, it's a name people call. Filibuster isn't a person. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he was the one that coined the phrase who buried a Grant tomb. No, well, I thought that was Groucho Marx. <laughs> I think you're right. Oh, I saw it in the Thin Man one time, yeah. Uh, um, 
You can't think of this word, and it, we hear it every day. <laughs> we have a couple we hear every day, but it didn't start with him. She. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a worse connotation than this one, yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. No, I don't know, Celeste. Okay. I wouldn't even What happened even was they were working on the White House, uh, and he couldn't stay at the... They were doing the presidential, uh, his, you know, the after the war, they had to uh, come back and fix the White House and all that. Right. It had been in terrible condition. And he stayed in a famous hotel, which I cannot think of right now. I can't think of the name of it. But it was just a little way away so they could do their work to fix the White House. Oh. And... In this hotel, there was a huge lobby. I, I, when I hang up the phone, I'll think of the name of it. I've been there before. Anyway, um, and in order to speak to the president, uh, you know, when he'd get up and move from one room to another, these people that were waiting in the lobby to talk to him by the hundreds, they'd run up and push and shove and scream and he hated them. He hated the press, and he invented the word lobbyist. Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. I'm waiting in the lobby, he said, and these lobbyists, I can't get away from them. And he was, you know, he was... And we still can't. He, he was a quick-tempered guy. You can tell that from everything that's ever been written about him. But he said, these lobbyists, and boy, that word caught on, and look how old it is, and we still use it every day. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I I listened to Jack Benny all night long last night. My son was here (laughs) staying with me last night, and he came in about 2 in the morning, and he said, Mom, is that Jack Benny? (laughs) Are you asleep? <laughs> I had a good night of Jack Benny. I like that. I heard some things I hadn't heard before, so that was pretty good. Yeah, that's amazing what John Lurie knows, isn't it? They, they, you know, they, they, uh, they, they know just as much as Jack Benny does. It's who? Um, because you know John Lurie on the show last night with George Balls, the Jack Benny writer, and I, it's just amazing what. What kind of show that was, to be, you know, back almost 30 years ago? When oh, yes, and you know their answers were so prompt, weren't they? I mean, they sounded as though they had just written something yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Their answers were very prompt and just right on target and everything. And they cleared up the longest laugh, didn't they? Did, did, did you guys just get that? I think so. Yeah, I think we did. Then you clear up the longest laugh, and it wasn't. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. No. no. It was all shut up. Well, that was the one that Jack Benny thought was the longest uh-huh. laugh. Yeah, those were the writers that said that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, that was really good. Well, I really enjoyed it. And so now you have a new word for our little... Our little club here, and it is a lobbyist. I'll bet that you, you is won't. That's a great story. Thank you. Yeah, you won't find that word in any Lone Ranger. 
<laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Good night, honey. All right. All right. Good night. Happy New Good Year. Night. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Good night, you guys. Happy New Year. You too, Celeste. Thank you, Celeste. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. Bye bye. for Patricia to pack up her laptop and sneak Indeed. Away. So Indeed. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll, I will we'll, be here we'll tomorrow. See, yes. Tomorrow we'll celebrate your Christmas present. So that, <gasps> that, yes. So that should be good. Yes. I am really looking forward to that. That'd be good. This is good. I got Christmas all week this week. Oh, you should. You should have. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Right, thank you, thank you. Right, okay, we'll I will be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Good night, Larry. Good night, Walden. Good night. There she goes. Now, she doesn't know what her present no, is, does she? Doesn't. No, she doesn't. Is this the, is this is the last one, right? Uh, well, it, it, I sent her a box, but she knows what's in the box. Right, but she doesn't know about the other one. No, she doesn't know, what, she doesn't know about this, the other one, no. Okay. And I'm not, and with her sister listening, I don't want to take any chances. Because, <laughs> because uh, this is a special gift that Kim is so excited about. Yeah. Uh, we're going to wait and let Patricia be surprised. Okay. That's right. cool. That's cool. We're going to be playing a Cavalcade of America fairly soon after we took cool. it to the blue. But we're going to go to the blue for people who just tuned in. We're, you, if you want to listen to us, you have to continue to listen to us by going to the blue network because red will go back to automation mm-hmm. in just a few moments. And then we'll be back on both red and blue tomorrow night, 1030 Eastern, 730 Pacific. Right now, we don't have any live guests planned for this Friday or right. this weekend. Right. Um, we still got a couple of interviews in the can, but who knows when we'll get to those. Yeah, that's true. You know. That's very true. And one great big long one that John hasn't done anything about. That's true. That four-hour interview. Stand by, everybody. We're going to the blue. Good night, lobbyists. Lobbyists and us are back. Cool. All right. Nine o'clock already. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing how fast this week has gone. Well, it's been a it's been a recovery week. Sound like you still don't have all your energy energy back, but no, it's not back yet. I'm still coughing, but not like I was earlier. It sounds like you got your voice pretty much back together, but just not the energy level, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. I found um, I, I've been recording a lot of Freeberg stuff. When his book came out, he did a lot of radio and TV, and we we got a ton of those interviews, and all, almost all of them. So I've been recording a lot of those digitally, and today mm-hmm. I found um, the somebody gave this to us, I guess, the 1969 appearance on the Johnny Carson show when they did the recreation of Superman. But it's it's the it would except for commercials, it's the whole hour. Okay. Because what we had in the past was cut up. Right. I've heard uh, I've heard one that was the whole interview, 
I've heard some like just the recreation. And yeah, I have to go back and look at the date up on this because I I don't know if I have the correct date. I have to look and see. Bug Collier was in it. It might have been one of the last appearances of Bug Collier before he passed away. Yeah. Okay, Bud passed away that summer. In that summer, yeah. This is February, I believe. Mm. Of 69 and, oh, and, Frank, Frank and Frank Buxton, Buxton and Bill Redfield. Right. And Marion... What's her name? She just she won just one supporting best actress. Marion oh, yes. Marion Marion. She played Lois Lane. Right. And she shows Johnny Carson played Jimmy Olsen in that. Oh my gosh, he was funny. <laughs> and Ross Martindale is one of the sound effects people. I wish I'd known that. Mm. I did know that, but I don't think I ever asked him because I didn't put two together when we interviewed him mm -hmm. about about this show. Time we talked to Frank Buxton, we should talk to him about the broadcast too. Yeah, well, I, I need to get a, I need to double check the date on this one. And uh, I can't remember where we have that. You've got it on your drive, my drive. right? And, but I don't remember where. Oh, it might be under. I think we had a photo under the Tonight Show. It was there, like for a while. It was like the only file. Now, okay. Now we have a lot more tonight shows because well, right. Yeah. I'll have to look because I I want to make sure I've got the right date mm -hmm. and uh, my braille in my notebook didn't give a date for some reason. Hmm. So uh, I'll look tomorrow. But I've been recording a lot of Freeberg stuff. I was and... just trying to think. I was going to ask you this earlier, but we moved so quickly. <clears throat> in the seventies, when we were talking about. Dick Oregon packing away. I remember, especially in LA, LA radio, San Diego, there seemed to be a two guy team that did comedy commercials. Oh, you know, a lot of, a lot of different types of commercials, like the, uh, oh, the moving company. I'm trying, Van Line and things like that. And I don't think I ever knew their name. Did that ring a bell? The voices I would recognize. Because yeah, it rings a bell, and I'm trying to think of who they guys, are. And I don't. I'm assuming they were in competition some some with the Freeberg, you know, trying to get the comedy twist of commercials. But I, I don't know anything really about them. Maybe Jim would remember if he's ever. Well, I know Dick Organ did a lot of commercials here locally. Mm -hmm. In the seventies and eighties. Was it Jim by himself per se, or was it Jim? Did he have a stock company? How did you? Uh, he had a little bit of a stock company, but a lot of the stuff he did. This is different than the Chicken Man and Tooth Fairy. Mm -hmm. He had a, a thing called Radio Ranch, and uh, I'll have to look him up because he did stuff on on all kinds of different products. And I don't know if he felt that he was in direct competition with Freeberg or not. But he did a lot of funny commercials. Yeah. I imagine the commercial field was pretty tight. You know, it probably, the cream of the crop was probably a pretty tight knit group who did it. You know, did all the, mm -hmm. the funny commercials. There probably were three or four of them that were doing the bulk of them and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. It's sort of like the voiceover business. Remember, I think we when we talked to Jeff David, he said going ahead ahead with Polly Bear and Orson Welles and others. You know, 
stiff competition out here. Oh, very much so. You know. Um, very much so. You know, a small percentage of the people were getting all the work. But there was a reason for that. You know, they continually auditioned. They continually pushed. And it was so, the cream of the crop. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I would still remember hearing um, Shirley Mitchell in some suntan lotion commercial in the uh, in the 90s. I mean, still, there were certain, certain distinctive voices that we lit, are aware of because of old-time radio that you would still hear in commercial spots. Yeah. And, yep, no, that's true. And I think if you go back and listen to the radio ads of the uh, 70s now, more often, boys, how many of those were distinctive radio voices from old-time radio? Oh, yeah, very much so. I'm more aware of it today than I was right back in those days. Um, yeah. I don't think I can tell you today most of the people doing commercials. Mm. But I could back in the 70s. You hear them all over. Yeah. Recognize the voices. I just couldn't tell you who they were, you know. Yeah. And I and I'm asking some of them just the straight character actors that that were so good at their craft. Yeah, that's um, true. And again, I don't know how many would cross over in, into commercials, or would they get specialized all in cartoon or all in commercials? I don't know. I don't know the field that well to tell you. In the sixties and seventies. Oh uh, yeah, there was a lot of crossover. There, yeah. Oh yeah. Very much so. Well, I think it's time so, to uh, support a radio show. Yeah, it's going to be Cavalcade, right? Right. Now, who's in this? This is, this is uh, Edmund O'Brien. Okay. Who's the lead. And it's such a good story. Um, and I think around 1952 or 53 when this came out. And I guess it's a true story. It's what they, the mm. way they play off of it. Okay. So... I'll be back. I don't know if was Larry gonna hang up and just go read for a while or whatever. So uh, well, let's see. It's only uh, it's. I, I'll probably be here. It's just a little after nine. Okay. We won't hold you to it if you decide to duck out. But anyway. Yeah. So, we'll see what happens. We'll I'm trying to get a lot of sleep if I can. I'm glad you got a lot last night. You you sure definitely need it. So it worked out. Well. Yeah. No, I, I feel actually pretty good today. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll try and be out, out after the next one. But we'll see. <clears throat> the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. Makers of better things for better living through chemistry presents the Cavalcade of America. Our play is Barbed Wire Christmas, based on the true experiences of GIs in a German prisoner of war camp. Our star, Edmund O'Brien. days before Christmas, 1944. The place, an American prisoner of war camp deep in Germany. In a snow-covered compound, a group of American prisoners stands shivering in the icy wind, waiting for morning roll call. Achtung! Achtung! 
When you hear this whistle, you'll come to attention. A message from the commandant. On the eve of Christmas, the curfew will be extended to one o'clock. Take notice. It's eve of Christmas only. On all other nights, as usual, any prisoner found outside barracks will be shot. This is the story of that Christmas Eve. A Christmas that I and 4,000 other American enlisted men spent in a German prison camp. We lived in flimsy barracks, surrounded by barbed wire and trigger-happy German guards. We were forever cold and wet and hungry. And I mean really hungry. My name is Peterson, Sergeant Bert Peterson. As the elected leader of the 150 men of Barrack 35B, my main problem was to keep us all alive until the Allied armies came for us. And now, with another horrible German winter beginning, the only thing that kept us from doing something desperate and suicidal was our conviction that it wouldn't be too long now. Most of us kept up our hopes, but some, like a kid from West Virginia named Nick, like to sit around the barrack and worry about it. Hey, Pete, how long you think it'll be, huh? I mean, before we get out. I don't know, Nick. Uh, soon, I hope. Well, like when? I mean, make a guess, huh? Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe a month, if we're real lucky. And we're real lucky type fellas. Got a roof over our heads, three square meals a month, and all the water we can drink. Who needs more? Outside of human beings, that is, or animals. Why a month? Our guys are in Germany already, only 400 miles away now. 400 miles? Nothing at all. They'll be bouncing in here on their pogo sticks first thing tomorrow. Hey, Pete! Hey, Blackie, where you been? Over to the chaplain's office. Hey, you know we're all gonna have a midnight mass Christmas Eve in the chapel. Ain't that charming now. What do you mean, we all? I mean the whole camp. Anybody who wants to come. That's better, because frankly, I couldn't be less interested. Yeah, we know, we know. Hey, Milstein? Yeah? Father Moran wants to know if you'll sing at the service. Hey, Pete. Sure, why not? Hey, Pete, you hear the BBC news this morning? No, no, I didn't, Mello. Why? Well, this Jerry God was talking outside just now. And he said that the Americans and the British were retreating like crazy back into Belgium. And that the war was just starting, and he said we'd be here for years Ah, yet. they're always yakking like that. You already believe that stuff? I don't know. But it's just what I heard is all. Well, we can check it tonight on the radio. But it sounds phony to me. It better be, because I ain't staying here another winter. You're not, huh? No, my friend, I'm not. I had plenty last winter. More than plenty. And I ain't taking it again. So, what you got in mind, Nick? There's 4,000 of us, ain't there? 4,000 against a handful of crowds. Uh, Nick, you ever hear about Luft 3? Our guys tried a mass break there, remember? And they got mowed down like so much hay. Not one man got out. Not one. So they didn't plan right, that's all. All I know, if that stuff about the Jerry's counterattacking is on the level, I ain't staying here. And, brother, I won't be the only one. Believe me that. I believed him, all right. If the news was true, there'd be all kinds of desperate prison breaks, all resulting in one thing, plain, simple suicide. That night, to catch the BBC news... I hauled out the crestal set I'd built. Radios were strictly forbidden by the Jerry's, so we had to take precautions. What do you want me, Pete? Get that window, huh, Sid? Okay. Uh, Hud, you get by the door and sing out if you hear anything. Right. And loud, because I can't hear so good with these earphones on. Okay. All clear here. Nobody coming? All right, now keep it quiet, huh? The news ought to be on right now. 
What's he saying, Pete? Yeah, is it on? What's he saying? Is it news? Quiet, will you? Quiet, I can't hear. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I think it's London. Yeah, here's the news now. On Western Front, the situation is increasingly serious. And vicious counterattack. German forces have bulged back into Belgium. Some places to depth of 50 miles. United States 101st Airborne Division reported to be cut off and surrounded at Bastogne. So it's true, huh? So it's true. So we're never getting out of here. Never getting out of here. Yes, it seemed to be true, all right. Very little was said that night after the news. The lights went out at nine, as usual. And as we crawled into our sacks, no one slept. Each man I knew was lying there thinking, brooding, planning. Slowly building himself up to a state of suicidal desperation. As barrack leader, it was my job to get their minds busy with something else. But what? Finally, long after midnight, I thought of something. And in the morning, first thing after roll call, I called a barrack. All right, you guys, simmer down now, huh? Now, the purpose of this meeting, well, it's not very long until Christmas, and, well, we haven't done anything about it. What? The Yuletide season upon us so soon? Gracious me, our time doth fly. Christmas in this place, who cares? Well, I do, Nick, for one. You would. Okay, so I'm a sentimental fool. But I... Well, I had some kind of a Christmas tree, for instance, every year of my life, and, and some kind of Christmas dinner. And I'm going to have them this year. Jerry's or no Jerry's? Yeah, count me in, Pete. Me too, Okay, Blackie. Pete. And the name's Milstein. And I still think it's a good idea. That a boy said. Like I said, I still don't care. Oh, shut up, will you? What do you got in mind, Pete? Well, like a, like a Christmas tree, for one, and, and decorations, and, and some kind of special dinner. And we could put on a show. And later, there'll be the midnight mass for whoever wants to go. Goody, goody, goody. But will you shut up with that stuff? You want to go to your mass, you go to your mass. This is a free country. That's a joke, son? Just slipped out, Sid. Forget it. Anyway, we got to have some committees. Say, Blackie. Yeah? How'd you like to be chairman of the dinner committee? Okay, sure. Now, Hud, you're the comic around here. Suppose we put you in charge of the show. Oh, no, no, you don't, boy. Uh, okay, okay, we vote. All those in favor of HUD being chairman of the entertainment committee, say aye. Aye. Opposed? No. <laughs> Motion carried. Oh, for Pete's sake, I don't... Oh. And this show better be good, boy, or you're going to get four dozen ripe tomatoes right in the... Hey, I'm going crazy or something? Who's got tomatoes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And so began what I came to think of as Operation Christmas. And it started to work. In each of us, memories of wonderful Christmases long past were stirred into life. And strangely, each of us began to think of Christmas as his own personal possession to be recreated here in this dismal place down to the last minute detail. There were even a few arguments. A star. On top of the tree, how come? Certainly a star. What else, for Pete's sake? An angel, you dope. You gotta have an angel on the tree. An angel? You crazy or something? You always have a star. Star of Bethlehem. 
Somebody, you don't even know what Christmas is about? Sure I know what Christmas is about. Look, didn't this angel come to the shepherds out in the field and tell them that Jesus was born and where to find him? Yeah. Okay. That's why you always have an angel on top. And I'm chairman of the decorating committee, and we're having an angel. Okay. Okay, so we put both on top. Put a star and an angel, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, no need to get so sore about it. Well, who's getting sore? Yes, there were arguments. But behind them all was a deep, common concern. A common spirit. The spirit of Christmas. And as Christmas Eve drew near, our tensions and worries were forgotten in our preparations for the party. All right, so now a report from the dinner committee. Blackie? Right. <coughs> well, well, this is what we got worked out, fellas. Uh, each guy puts in two squares <laughs> of K rations and one square D bar, and then he has some prunes, a couple of slices of spam, and some liver paste, depending on what he's got. And uh, I'm going to make us some cake out of what is commonly referred to as ingredients. Being namely some sodium bicarb tablets. Oh, oh, oh. And thank you, Fanny Farmer. <laughs> yes, everything was going fine. And then the worst happened. It was the morning of Christmas Eve. We were all busy with our various job in the barracks when we heard the shout that meant we weren't alone. Is it Jerry in the house? Jerry in the house! Achtung! Barracks leader! Perished! Here, what's on your mind? A message from the commandant. Tonight it will be forbidden to have the midnight mass. Quiet! What do you mean, forbidden? The one o'clock curfew will still be allowed. But the mass is forbidden. Now, just a minute, fellas, just a minute. Why not? Why no mass? I do not make the order, Sergeant. All I know, the mass is forbidden. Forbidden! The status. What's the matter? They've gone crazy. What's the matter with the mass? I don't know. They always got some stupid reason. How do you like that? I don't. Not a bit. You know, I got a notion to go anyways. Yeah. They want trouble, we'll give them trouble. Ah, oh, what are you yakking about, Hud? You weren't going anyway. All right, so I never had much use for that religious stuff. But to me, having a mass not to go to is just as big as you're having a mass to go to. Try it again in English. Maybe it's more like this, Blackie. You're a Catholic and I'm a Jew, but we've only got one chaplain here, and, well, he happens to be Catholic, so well, we've got to sort of spread him around, so to speak. When he talks about God, I, I think of my God, and, and Pete here thinks of his, and, and Hud here thinks of his. Assuming he's got one. Sure, I got one. What do you mean? You think I'm some kind of atheist or something? One more no, time. Nobody I... said that, Hud. Nobody said that. And let's simmer down, huh? Well, I'm going over to the chapel tonight, and I'd like to see the Jerry or anyone else who's going to stop me. Me too. I'm going to. They'll kill you. They'll kill all of you. He wouldn't dare. What difference does it make for Pete's sake? Who's going to live here anyway? I promised to sing Pete, and I'm singing. So we're all going, Pete, whether you like it or not. What are you going to do about it, boy? Do about it? I don't know, hon. I frankly don't know.
return to our cavalcade play, Barbed Wire Christmas, starring Edmund O'Brien. It was Christmas Eve, 1944. We were a bunch of GIs in the prisoner of war camp in Germany. As a barrack leader, I found myself faced with a serious problem. My guys were going to chapel for midnight mass, whether it meant getting shot or not. All I could do was go over and take it up with other barrack leaders. And when I got to their office, there were a couple of dozen other guys standing on the steps, barrack leaders and compound leaders, and also the chaplain, Father Moran. Hello, Pete. You too, huh? How are you, Padre? Say, what goes on here, anyway? Well, it's a strange and wonderful thing, Pete. Seems that 4,000 GIs, Catholics, Protestants, and Jews, are suddenly all up in arms about a mass that most of them weren't going to anyway. So we've asked the commandant to meet us here. Everybody, huh? Uh-huh. I thought it was only my guys. Hey, look. Oh, yeah. Here he comes. Private army and all. Well, you asked to see me? About what, Captain Moran? Colonel, it's about the mass. First you gave permission, and now you've forbidden it. And our men are... The Gestapo in the city forbid it. Too many men in one place, not wise. But, Colonel, the men are determined to go. So you tell them it is forbidden. Excuse me, Colonel. They know it's forbidden. They know they might get shot. But they're at the point right now where they don't care. So if you want a few thousand corpses on your hands, you're going to get them. No, I want no trouble here. Then uh, may I suggest that you ask the Gestapo to reconsider? Very well, I will ask, but the answer will take time, Captain. If it does not come before midnight, the order must be enforced regardless of the consequences. You will tell your men the order will be enforced. Quiet! Well, Padre? I don't know, boys. We could call off the service, just close up the chapel. But if the men show up anyway, I think I'd better be there to head off trouble. You know, <laughs> I just can't get over it. I mean, what crazy, contrary, unreasonable, stubborn, and still profoundly wonderful characters Americans can be. I just can't get over it. Well, I went back to the barrack and briefed the guys on what I'd heard. They listened and nodded and said nothing. They hadn't changed their minds about going to the mass just didn't want to argue about it. Barrack 35B was really something to see that night. Nick and Miller had built us a beautiful tree made out of branches fastened to a broomstick handle, and it was decorated with garlands of white tissue, scraps of colored paper, and spirals of tin from our powdered milk cans. And on the very top, there was an angel carved from soap fastened to a cardboard star. Yes, it was really something to see. Dinner time came and still no word from the commandant. We had a fine Christmas Eve dinner that night. The spam was fried just right and the potatoes were boiled to perfection. For dessert, we each had three stewed prunes and a slice of Blackie's specially baked cake. Pretty good, too, whatever he'd made it out of. And then came the long-awaited show. We had all kinds of acts, but one I remember especially was Nick. 
because he sang of home. On top of old Smokey, all covered with snow, I lost my true lover from courting too slow. On top of old Smokey, I went there to weep for a false-hearted We had comedians, too, like the act that Hud and Blackie put on. Ah! <laughs> here is the German Unteroffizier, who's trying to make an honest living, and here comes another of those new American prisoners. Ah! You there! I'm uh, looking for the prisoner of war camp. Have I come to the right place? Oh, are you there, no? That's your language. So happens that I know every word of the Geneva Convention. Uh, where have I heard that before? Quiet, please. From your insolent manner, I wonder if I've come to the right place. Well, anyway, take me to the dining room. I'm hungry enough to eat a horse. To eat a horse? Yes. Yeah, you have come to the right place. <laughs> yes, it was a fine show. But under all the laughter and applause... We knew that the men were still determined to go to that mass, come what may. It was late when the show ended. We sat around quiet now and exchanged Christmas presents with our best buddies. They were strange gifts, some of them, but very precious in many ways. Hey, hey, how do you like that? A can opener. Hey, Sid, where'd you get it? You... This isn't the one you had. You think I'm out of my head giving you my only can opener? No, no, I had an extra one. Well, fine. I mean, thanks. Thanks a lot. It's real charming of you, boy. Uh, here. Here, I got something for you. Hey, guys, the time. It's almost 12. Anybody interested? Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested. Me too. Hey, just a minute, hey. Just a minute, fellas. Now, please, give me a minute. I'll be brief. Yeah, well, the briefer the better. All right, so right now, we never had it so bad. But we'll get out of here. You know we will. If we can just stay alive a little while longer. Don't forget, we've got lives waiting to be lived back home. We've got, we've got girls waiting and, and kids waiting to be born and raised and... And houses waiting to be lived in. Warm houses with, with good food on the table. Okay. Okay, you don't want any part of it. Okay. So go on out now and get yourself shot. I might be right, you know. Well, maybe so. Hey, hey, outside, look. Hmm? Whole mob of guys from the other barracks heading for the chapel. Okay. There's going to be a mess... I'm going to sing. Yeah, let's go. Jerry's want to stop a few thousand of us. Let him try. Come, Come on, on, man. Let's get Come on, Sid. Well, Pete, how about you? Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm coming. Let's go. The chapel was already jammed when we got there. There wasn't room for those who came after us. And soon there were hundreds of guys outside, bunched around the open doors and windows, standing hatless in the snow. Inside, 
Up by the cardboard candlelit altar, somebody I couldn't see began to play the wheezy old organ. The faces around me were tight with determination and anxiety. Where were the Jerry's? Why hadn't we run into any on our way to chapel? Obviously, they were laying low. But why? We didn't know. We were tense and afraid. Whatever Father Moran felt during that midnight mass, it didn't show. For him, the Jerry's and their barbed wire no longer existed. It was Christmas, and he was honoring the Prince of Peace. And then, from outside, we began to hear something. And a whisper, starting among the men outside in the snow, swept inside the chapel from man to man, men whose nerves were at hair-trigger tension. The Jerry's? The Jerry's are coming! Okay, let them start something. Come on, the Jerry's. The Jerry's were coming. We could see them, coming towards us across the snow, rifles in hand. In a minute or two, they were at the chapel door. We held our breath and waited. Not a man among us moved. But we were ready for anything. Then Father Moran turned. And seemed to give a nod to Sidney Milstein. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, Sid sang that age-old hymn, the Jerry's pushed their way into the chapel, and overcrowded as it was, gradually, our prison place of worship was filled with our guards and captors. I knew that one of them was right behind me, but I didn't turn around. join us. In all our anger and fear, we'd forgotten one thing. It was Christmas for them, too. And remembering this, we began to sing. We all began to sing. The sky seemed wonderfully clear that night as we walked back to our barracks and the stars strangely bright. We didn't have to talk because each man's thoughts were alike. We knew now that the words we'd heard for so long were really true, that Christmas isn't only an anniversary, but a universal spirit of brotherhood, of peace and goodwill. And in realizing these things, we'd lost our fear. We knew somehow that it wouldn't be long, that we'd soon be free, that, that we'd soon be home. And we knew, too, that this would always be the most memorable Christmas of our lives.
Cavalcade players for tonight's true story. Barbed Wire Christmas was written by Warner Law in collaboration with David Gerber and was based on Mr. Gerber's personal experiences in the German prison camp. Original music for tonight's DuPont Cavalcade was composed by Arden Cornwell, conducted by Donald Voorhees. The program was directed by John Zoller. With our star, Edmund O'Brien, you heard Gary Wahlberg, George Petrie, Bill Zuckert, Ross Martin, Harry Jackson, Ed Jerome, Tony O'Selwert, Kermit Murdoch, Dan Ocko, and Nelson Olmsted. The DuPont Cavalcade of America came to you tonight from the Velasco Theater in New York City and is sponsored by the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware, makers of better things for better living through chemistry. Tonight, just for laughs, listen to Red Skelton on NBC. Cavalcade of America. David Gerber with the story, based upon his life story. So that's somebody I could look up on his Wikipedia page, see if we can find out. Yeah. Through the book or something. A lot of well-known voices in that show if you look at the cast credits. mostly New York because yeah, it, it went back and forth between Hollywood and New York but Daniel Ocko Nelson Olmstead yeah. was almost a character actor Ross, by that time Ross Martin I think Ross attended FOTR occasionally he did yeah, yeah he did um, he was on Ross Martin was a regular on uh, John Steele Adventure oh yeah that's a that's a one of the better Saturday morning shows there were, John Steele. He wasn't yeah, I like that show. Yeah. I think the first one I ever heard is the one that you played. On Lighthouse? Saturday, uh, on Saturday, just for kids, about the, um, about the, 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 the jockey, the race jockey, uh, horse race jockey. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Just a few years ago. Yes. <laughs> just a few. So, Laker game is on. The Lakers are not playing terribly well. They're down by, I think, two now. I hate it when teams play lacklusterly, and that seems to be what they're doing tonight, unfortunately. Yes, they've got injuries, but still. And, uh... Who are they playing tonight? Uh, I think we'll the, uh... Grizzlies. Okay. Memphis Grizzlies, yeah. Probably, be, we'll, we'll start this next show, and then I'm going to go away and... Read a little bit and get ready to go to bed. So what are you working on? What book are you working on right now? I'm reading a Clive... No, it's not a Clive Cussler book. It's a... Yes, it is a Clive Cussler book. It's a, It's one of the Numa books. I, I, I like him a lot. And I found that there's quite a few books that I have not read yet of his. Do you 
alternate you alternate t two three books at the same time or you just one book no nah, i used to sometimes i still do it depends on what else is going on uh -huh. if if it's if it's busy with work stuff then i generally don't just because i don't get a chance to read as much when i'm busy with at work which is too bad because i like to read a lot do a chapter a day you have a set goal in mind uh, no I it, whatever happens happens I don't I don't have a specific goal to read so many chapters per day mm -hmm. it just depends but I'll read tonight probably and fall asleep because mm -hmm. that's just what happens sometimes well, it's nice that you got sort of a quiet week in front of you so if you it, it's very quiet and I purposely haven't gone anywhere uh, because I'm trying to get this done and this cold out of the way and done before I go back to work. And you have enough leftover from uh, Christmas dinner, so you guys didn't have to really prepare anything hot and heavy. Yep, we have uh, we we cook left we cook leftovers we microwave leftovers last night and tonight, and there'll be enough for tomorrow night. And that might be it. We'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, we had ham and a little bit of lasagna, the last of the lasagna. Mm -hmm. Carrots. Potatoes. Uh, the salad went last night. And I'm eating this, the, the honey bake ham from Frank and Bobby for lunch. Mm -hmm. And we had ham left over from uh, Christmas. So that that will probably go tomorrow. We'll see. Not sure. But I might have some leftover for Friday. I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty cool. So you're gonna have to make a grocery run this weekend. Oh yeah, I'll be going. I'll be going grocery shopping um, this weekend at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then usually what we do, you know, New Year's Eve, especially if I'm not gonna go anywhere, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we'll we'll um, we'll we'll eat snacks. Maybe make some popcorn or some nachos or something. Or we also, John also bought a meat cheese platter from the store. So there's like summer sausage, salami, whatever. And so that way, the purpose is to watch. If you want to watch football or something, we can do that. And there's no cooking involved. Uh, and then, of course, after the first of the year, then we cook. But, you know, and we don't really plan on anything. Purposely, so and I don't know. We'll see how I feel. I, if 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 I'm not feeling great, then I won't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I think the only place I've been has been for Christmas dinner over the last week and a half. Uh, other than that, I've just stayed home purposely, and it's been cold here yeah. for us. Yeah. Now, some of you are laughing at me. Fine, lap away. I don't care. But but it's been chilly in the morning, especially here. In the forty forties, maybe early low forties. I, I think one day it was thirty-eight. I got Patricia Heater on. She, she yeah. sent to me a couple of Christmases ago, and it still comes in handy. This one little room. So. Uh, yeah, I don't have a heater on in here, but there's a there's a wall heater in the front area, so that we turn on usually when we wake up. Just to warm the house up, and then a couple hours later, we turn it off. So, 
but that's you know that that's I'm, it's a, I'm purposely trying to make it very low key and a very quiet week. You don't have to go back to work. It's nice to do once in a while. Yeah, you don't have to go back to work until the second, right? I yeah, I go back Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Well, you John, back. You, John goes back. John goes back Wednesday. You pretty much go. You've been on the go pretty much all year. It's, yeah. Know. And there's more, more testing. I'm. I heard. Uh, Beginning Tuesday, I got more stuff to do. So, you know, if it's that busy, it's supposed to be as busy or busier next year. So, if that's the case, shoot, it is what it is. So, that's cool. We'll take it. Yeah. I've got, um, I still have to put a couple things away. I've got gift cards to put away. Mm-hmm. I got a new wallet. So, I have to put the I have to move stuff over from the old wallet, which has seen better days. Okay. Got a shaver. I'm very, very happy about that because the shaver I had, I, I got that shaver several years ago when Melinda was alive. Mm. And they don't last any more than five or six years. Uh, and, and I was noticing it because I wasn't getting close shaves. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got a new shaver for Christmas, and it's terrific. And I asked for a couple more things, so we'll see what my birthday brings. And if that's in, then we'll see what happens. It should be good. It yeah. Be good. So it was, yeah, it was a good Christmas. Lots of fun, very enjoyable. Yeah. So, what are you playing next? I think we should go with the railroad hour. Oh, okay. The holiday in. This is the fun version. I like this version more than I do the Screen Guild version. Do you really? Yeah, I think the Screen Guild, even though with with, uh, Crosby and everything, they seem to be just highlights from the film. Like, you really don't get the the story. Who's in the Railroad Hour version? It's George George Murphy and Margaret Whiting. And and I'm trying to think of the third one. Oh, of course, uh, Gordon McRae. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Once I take 45 minutes. Yeah, I, well, that helps. I've heard this before, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah. So, so that's what uh, more than likely won't listen now, but I'll listen later. Okay, that's what we got planned. So everybody will will play that while Larry get off to read in a little bit, and then uh, we'll come up with something afterwards. So with that, okay. I will talk to you tomorrow. We'll catch up with you tomorrow. Okay. And by the way, let's talk to Kim tomorrow at some point. That's a good idea. See if she's available, and we'll talk about Zoom and see what we can do. Perfect. All right, Larry. Catch you later. There's a chair there. Yeah, there was. Not anymore. It's out in the front room now. Jaws Pro 1. Escape open at Jaws Escape. My music. My document. Enter. Document C. Christmas Enter. Chris R. Radio City Playhouse R. Radio Readers Digest R. Railroad Hour 481220 F012 Holiday Inn. Unloading Jock Camp. OK Enter. Christmas Shows Folders. I- Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our star studded show train. Tonight, 
the Association of American Railroads presents the gay white Christmas musical Holiday Inn, starring George Murphy, Martha Tilton, Jerome Cowan, and your host, Gordon McRae. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another great musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that also bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now, here is Gordon McRae. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Well, tonight, it is our particular pleasure to bring you Paramount Pictures' delightful musical Holiday Inn, with its great score by Mr. Irving Berlin. As the lovely leading lady of the piece, you will hear Miss Martha Tilton. Mr. Jerome Cowan appears as the agent Danny, who handles the careers of Ted Hanover and Jim Hardy, played respectively by Mr. George Murphy and myself. And so for the next 45 minutes, come with us and have a happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Looking back, I see that each of the moments I treasure and remember was a melody. Because for each moment there was a song, and for each song there is now a memory. Happy Holiday takes me back to the beginning. One year ago, Christmas time. I was working in a florist shop, and all of a sudden the door opened, and Ted Hanover walked in. He was whistling. Oh, was I surprised. The most famous dancer on Broadway doesn't walk into a shop every day. I just stood there with my mouth open. Uh, excuse me, do you usually go around like that, or are you waiting for someone to throw in a fish? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Mr. Hanover. I just never expected to see you. Oh, you know who I am. Oh, yes, I know who you are, all right. Well, I'd like some orchids, the finest in the house. A corsage? No, no, I want a dozen, so she can pin them any place she wants. Oh, <laughs> all right. Oh, you know that song, huh? We're using that in our act. Well, I only know the beginning. Happy holiday, happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing, may your every wish come true. Happy holiday, happy holiday. May the calendar keep ringing happy holidays to you. If you're burdened down with trouble, if your nerves are wearing thin, pack your load down the road, come to Holiday Inn. If you're laid up with the breakdown, throw away your vitamin. Don't get worse, grab your nurse, come to Holiday Inn. Happy Holidays, happy holidays. May the Holiday Inn. That's a wonderful sound. It's too bad there isn't any such place. Ah, but there is. Way out in the wilds of Connecticut. You see, my partner Jim Hardy just bought it. That's why he wrote that song. 
It's going to be open just over each holiday, and he's going to have a big floor show that ties in with that season. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. Why, sure it is, sure it is, if you have an affinity for the carrot and the field mouse. Personally, I loathe the country. Say, uh, how about the orchids? Oh, uh, yes, Mr. Hanover, I'll have them wrapped in just a minute here. Um, Mr. Hanover... As long as you're in the shop and you have such a kind face. Now, look, young lady, look. I'm getting married tomorrow. The lady is waiting. And at the moment, she's engaged to my partner, and we have to explain things to him so he'll understand, you see. And we also have a show to do in an hour, so please make with the package if you well, don't mind. Well, I am, but I can talk while I'm rapping. You see, this is really just a part-time job. Oh. Actually, I sing and dance. Mr. Hanover, I want... I know, I know. You studied dancing since you were a little child. You spent long, weary hours in every theatrical agency on Broadway, but just now I have to get back to the club and get on with How the next... did you know all those things about me? My dear, that's the story of every star and would-be star on Broadway. Forget it, kid. Marry the florist and raise little orchids. <laughs> then you won't get your heart broken. Well, okay. Here's your package. At $36. Special rate because you bought by the dozen. Oh, thank you. Here. You may keep the change. Say, if you really want a job... Why don't you take a run up to Connecticut and see Jim Hardy? Our act's folding tonight, and he'll be up there tomorrow. Well, thanks, Mr. Hanover. Thank you very much. Oh, don't mention it. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. I didn't realize then how much that song would come to mean to me. The next day, I invested a little money in a train ticket and went up to Connecticut and knocked on the door of Holiday Inn. Jim opened the door. Well, hello. Santa Claus is a day early this year, I see. Come uh, in, come in. Mr. Hardy? Yeah. Here, let me help you off with those things. Oh, thank you. It was a cold ride up from the station. I'm Linda Mason, Mr. Hardy. Well, I'm glad to know you, Linda. Uh, I uh, happened to run into Ted Hanover, and he suggested I come to see you about maybe getting a job in the show. Uh, you dropped the wrong name, lady. Ted Hanover's about as popular around here as measles. Oh, well, you can't blame a girl for trying. You see, I work in a florist shop, and yesterday Mr. Hanover walked in and asked for a dozen orchids. Yeah, and today the girl that I was going to marry yesterday is wearing them. Oh, that beautiful Lila. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right, all right, I'll get over it. I'd rather she made him unhappy than me. <laughs> well, when are you going to open the inn? New Year's Eve. Did that wolf in tap shoes tell you the idea of the inn? You see, I've written some special music for each holiday. Why, no, I had no idea you were a composer, too. Well, I, I had hoped to get the inn open tonight. I'd written a special song for the occasion, but I, I just couldn't make it by Christmas. Oh, I'd love to hear the song. You would? Well, fortunately, I happen to have a piano handy. I, uh, I live for moments like this. I'm dreaming. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen
Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright. And may all your Christmases be warm. That's a beautiful song. You like it? Well, come on, sing it with me. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten Where the treetops glisten And children listen And children listen To hear To hear at this early date if I said Merry Christmas? Well, it is rushing this season, but it sounds beautiful. You know, I like your voice. Maybe... Oh, pardon me a moment, Linda. Hello. Oh, hello, Jim. This is Ted. Goodbye, Ted. No, 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 Jim, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't hang up on me. You don't know what I've been through. Nothing trivial, I hope. Jim, look, I want to read you a wire that just came. You remember Lila, don't you? Oh, yes, yes, I remember Lila. Well, the wire's from her. I was supposed to meet her at the license bureau at City Hall, but she sent a Western Union boy in her place. Well, congratulations. I hope you two will be very, very happy. Now, Jim, look, don't joke. This is the wire. She says, sorry, darling, but flying to Texas tonight to marry the most wonderful millionaire in the world. Hope you find a new partner soon. Love, Lila. Well, that's life. No, that's Lila. Jim. Jim, look, I'm coming to Holiday Inn. See, I'm going to help you open the place up. Now, we'll get it open fine by New Year's Eve. We'll put on a big show. No, no, take it easy. No, thanks, Ted. I've already got my show lined up. Oh, but Jim... So long, Ted. I'm sorry, Linda. That was just a fellow who got the wrong number. Uh, Linda, would you like to open here with me on New Year's Eve? Oh, thank you. You know I'd love to. Maybe there is a Santa Claus after all. Well, uh, could it be me? Well... Ted Hanover did send me here. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. It's the first good turn he's ever done me. Oh, it's going to be such fun to be a part of Holiday Inn. You're right. Because if you're burdened down with trouble, if your nerves are wearing thin, pack 
your load down the road. Come to Holiday Inn. Happy Holiday. Happy Holiday. Happy Holiday. Happy Holiday. May the calendar keep ringing. Happy Holiday. starting on that last week just before Christmas, the week that's likely to get pretty frantic for a lot of us. There's that shopping that hasn't been done yet, and the gift wrapping, and the last-minute Christmas mailing, if you didn't follow the good sound rule of mailing early. And then there's a lot of decorating and a lot of preparing for Christmas dinner and, oh, a dozen or two other things that have to be done. Yes, it takes a lot of planning, as well as a lot of doing to get ready for Christmas. It started weeks, even months ago. The producers began to turn out their materials, the manufacturers to make their goods, the merchants to stock their shelves. And all through that process, you'd find railroads doing their indispensable part, bringing the raw materials together at the place of manufacture, hauling the fuel and bringing in the food and the other supplies needed to keep the work going, distributing the product, delivering the goods all over this land. Now, during all these weeks and months, you might not have been on a train you probably didn't go into a railroad freight house. But just the same, the railroads were working for you, all to the end that so far as transportation is concerned, you might lack nothing which could help to make this a Merry Christmas. And now back to Holiday Inn, starring George Murphy, Martha Tilton, Jerome Cowan... And your host, Gordon McRae. Happy holiday! Happy holiday! Yes, for each moment there was a song. And for each song there is now a memory. On New Year's Eve, Holiday Inn was jammed with people. After the first floor show, Jim and I went out in the kitchen and helped dish salads onto plates. I remember looking at Jim and thinking, this really is the beginning of a new year in my life. Penny, for those thoughts. Oh, well, I was just thinking. It's almost the new year. Yeah, those old hands are practically straight up, aren't they? One minute to midnight, one minute to go. One minute to say goodbye before we say hello. Let's start the new year right. Twelve o'clock tonight when they dim the light. Let's begin kissing the old year out. Kissing the new year in. Let's watch the old year die with a fire. a car How can our love go wrong if we start the new year right? Hey, that 
that sounds like it. Come on, let's get out on that dance floor. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Hello, hello, Jim, old pal, old friend, old pain in my neck. Hey, Ted, what are you doing out here at Holiday Inn? Happy New Year. Hiya, baby, hiya. Good evening, Mr. Hanover. Now, look, Ted, you're, you're a little the worse for alcohol. Uh, How about going upstairs and lying down? Oh, no, no, I don't want to go upstairs. Come on, little girl. Come on. How about a little dance with old Ted Hanover, huh? No, no. Come on, Linda. It's all right, Jim. I don't mind. Oh, uh, listen to that music. Just listen and get with it. Oh, that's a baby. That's a baby. Just glide it. Just glide it. Hey, there's Ted Hanover and his new partner. Thank you, thank you. Oh, Mr. Hanover, Jim. He's okay, Linda. I'll take care of him. Whether he's sober or not, I never dance with anyone like that. Hey, that's a great finish to that number, Hanover. Yeah, it's a great finish to a lot of things. Happy holiday. Oh, no, 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 not that. Who's making that awful noise? I am, Ted. It's me, your agent, Danny. Oh. Open your eyes and look at me. Oh, no, no, I'm afraid to. It might make me ill. <laughs> Danny, what do you want? Ten percent of this headache? I don't need it. I got one of my own. I was with you last night. Oh. Well, 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 well. Is Junior coming, too? Oh, hello, Jim. Jim, where did you get that extra head? Oh, I... I always wear it in case one goes out on me. Oh. Oh, Danny. Danny, boy, where am I? At Holiday Inn. Well, where are you? Who, me? I'm at Holiday Inn, too. Oh. <laughs> uh, Jim? Me, too. I'm right here with the rest of you. Oh. It's crowded, isn't it? Hey, uh, uh, how did I get here? Well, I'll tell you a long story. Last night was New Year's Eve. Yes, now it comes back to me. Now I remember. You know, that's too oh. bad about Lila, but mm. on the whole, I think you're better off doing a single. Oh, no, no, boy. Boy, I got to have a partner. Well, aren't you tired of getting partners and falling in love with them and losing them? Mm. I don't know why you didn't tell me you had a new girl on the leash. Uh, a new girl? Yeah, the one you were dancing with last night. She was terrific. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was, was I dancing last night? Why, you got the best hand of your life. No kidding. I couldn't get close enough to see the girl's face, but her figure... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah? You didn't get close, though. No, no. The closest I was was when she was leaving the dance floor. I, I only saw her then from the back. Uh -huh. She was uh, about this. I mean, she, she has a... Well, if I ever saw her from the back again, I'd recognize her. <laughs> you saw her, Jim. You describe her. Who? Who, me? Well, uh, I wasn't watching very closely. She was medium, medium-built sort of girl with a medium face. She had an evening gown on with a, with a medium kind of belt in the back. <laughs> Just a medium girl. Yeah, she built like a former girlfriend of mine named Consuela Schlepkis. <laughs> yeah, that Consuela was all right. Used to play the pinball machine a lot down at the corner drugstore. Why, I remember one time she was high man three weeks in a row. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's dandy. Thanks. Help, that helps a lot. Oh, I'm happy to help you out any time, Danny. I'll do as much. I want to tell you something, boys. She'll be back. A chance meeting in the night. Destiny drawing two pairs of feet together. No woman could pass up a chance like... She'll be back next holiday, and I'll be here waiting. Oh, you, uh, you will, huh? Yes, I will, huh? Okay. It's your time. Waste it. I'll see you later. 
Jim. Well, I've got my overnight case packed. All ready to go back to the city in the florist shop. Uh, Linda, I, I've been thinking about that Lincoln's birthday number. I've decided we better do it in blackface. Blackface? Mm-hmm. You and I, the chorus, and everyone in blackface. I went back to New York. A whole lot of things all mixed up in my mind. The excitement of dancing with Ted Hanover and the excitement of singing with Jim. And most of all, the excitement of just being around Jim. I could hardly wait for Lincoln's birthday, but at last it came, and once more I was with Jim on the stage of Holiday Inn, in blackface. There's a man. This tiny babe, the folks all call him Honest Abe. Abraham, oh Abraham. In 1860, he became the 16th president. Now he's in the Hall of Fame, the most respected gem. That is why we celebrate this blessed February date. Abraham. To one whose name was Nancy Hanks. What's his name? Abraham. Abraham. She gave this land the finest son who ever went to Washington. Abraham. Abraham. Oh, Abraham. Abraham. When someone told him General Grant was drinking every night, he answered, go see if you can't get my generals tied. That's why we celebrate this blessed February day. Abraham was a real fine man. was Lincoln's birthday, Jim and me in blackface. And let me tell you, even with charcoal all over his kisser, he was something to start a girl dreaming. I couldn't wait to get back to the inn on St. Valentine's Day, and I was there early in a brand new dress, wearing my heart on my sleeve. Hey, you really look like something dreamed up for the occasion. Oh, thank you. Oh, the inn looks beautiful. You like those cupids? I, uh, posed for them myself. <laughs> I thought they looked familiar. Come over to the piano. I, I've got a valentine for you. What is it? Well, you just stand there by the piano and listen. This is for you, for me, honey. I mean every word. Be careful 
It's my heart It's not my watch you're holding It's my heart Oh, Jim It's not the note I sent you That you quickly burned It's not the book I lent you Get out here again. Now just keep playing, Beethoven. Just keep playing. Come on, baby. Let's finish that dance we started New Year's Eve. You know, I've been hunting for you ever since New Year's Eve. You have? Well, I've been right here. You have? Jim? Jim? Okay, okay. Two of you finally got together. And I'm sure neither one of you need me anymore. Jim. Oh, Jim, don't be such a churl. Whatever that is. Don't pay any attention to him. He's just jealous because I always take his girls away from him. Now, can I help it if he isn't attractive to women? I can't believe Jim would act like that. Say, say, wait a minute. Where have I seen you before? I mean, before New Year's. I sold you some orchids. Of course. You're the girl in the flower shop. Well, well, it's a small world, isn't it, huh? Well, come on. We'd better start practicing. You and I are going to dance together tonight. Tonight and every night from now on. From that moment, things changed between Jim and me. Oh, we went on doing shows together at Holiday Inn. But from that day, I was dancing with Ted, not singing with Jim. The holidays were far from happy then. Easter was a bust. May Day was dark and rainy. June, the month of brides, was completely grim. And then came the 4th of July. Ted kept asking me to start out on the road with him with our numbers, but I didn't want to leave Holiday Inn. Finally, I decided to ask Jim what was wrong. Wrong? What could be wrong? Everything's just dandy. Look, you, you better get in your costume. It's almost time for your number. Something's wrong, and I want to know what it is. Once I was in love with a girl. We were planning to get married. And all of a sudden, a big change set in. She decided Ted was what she wanted, and that was that. And once is enough for that to happen to me, I'm, I'm not sticking my fingers in the fire anymore. Do you think I'm like that? Well, I, I haven't noticed any indications of you being any different. Well, I'm very happy to know what you think of me. Now, listen, kid. This is a big night in your life. Danny has one of the biggest directors in Hollywood in the audience. And you and Ted are practically on your way west right now. 
Well, maybe they, they won't like us. Oh, they'll like you. You're great, together or separately. And when they see that ballroom number and that 4th of July solo of Ted's, all you have to do is make your reservations on the Super Chief and... By the way, that's all right with me, too. Well, okay, that's all right with me, too. The show that night was sensational. It closed with Ted doing his solo, and the way it went over should have impressed even the toughest Hollywood director. That was really great, Ted. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Oh, Ted, you were sensational. You too, Linda. Thanks, Danny. Folks, I want you to meet Hollywood's greatest picture director, Mr. Howard Dunbar. Howdy Mason. Oh, hello, Hanover, it's nice to meet you. And Mr. Dunbar, this is the greatest dance team in the business. Hanover and Mason. Yeah, that really was a show. Oh, uh, oh, this is the owner of Hollywood in uh, Jim Hardy. Say, Jim, is there some place that's quiet where Mr. Dunbar and I can discuss business? Well, you can go right over there in my office. Well, uh, as a matter of fact, Danny, it's Mr. Hardy I'd really like to talk to. Hey, Jim has a great voice, hasn't he, Mr. Dunbar? Well, uh, his voice is fine, all right, but it's the idea of Holiday Inn that interests me. I think there's a picture in it. And we could do a story around two guys and a girl and use all the special songs you've written, Mr. Hardy. Hey, that's a sensational idea. Well, now, Mr. Dunbar, of course, uh, considering the originality of the idea, we've got to get a pretty good price. Now, wait a minute, Danny. Don't let your 10% run away with you. <laughs> Thanks for the offer, Mr. Dunbar, but I'm not interested in selling. Not interested? Mm -hmm. Jim, are you out of your mind? It's for heat, Mr. Dunbar. Heat? He hasn't been himself all day. The ideas are natural for pictures, Jim. Well, of course, we'd star Mr. Hanover and his partner in the picture. I'm not interested in selling. Well, that's up to you. Well, now, wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. Don't be in such Jim, a hurry. Jim, to... be decent for once in your life and let somebody else around here have a chance? You had to louse this up for me, too, didn't you, Ted? Hmm? Whether it's a girl or an idea or a song or even a, a new hat, as soon as I get it, you want it. And you usually get it, too, don't you? Oh, now, Jim, Jim, you're my best friend. Yeah, yeah, I always have been. But you always seem to wind up my worst enemy. Well, okay, you've wrecked everything now, anyhow. Take the idea, take the music, take Linda, take the whole darn thing. Both of you do me a favor, will you? And stay away from me from now on. Okay, Mr. Sorehead, if that's the way you wish it. <clears throat> well, uh, Mr. Hardy will want you in Hollywood, too, to write the music. No, thanks. I'll, I'll write the music here and send it to you. Jim, if you'd only listen to me... What do you want now, Linda? Shall I throw in my shirt, too? Happy holidays! There's the next show. Happy holidays! Yeah, happy holiday, And many of them. Earlier this evening, we were talking about the planning and preparation which goes into making the Christmas season what it is. For a lot of us, one of the high spots of that season will be a trip, for Christmas is the traditional reunion season of the year. It's the time when all members of the family gather happily together in one home, enjoying to the full the warm, friendly spirit of Yuletide. That's why weeks and months ago, railroads began to plan and prepare for the increased travel which Christmas brings. It was necessary first to figure ahead as closely as possible how many of you would travel, and where, and when. The next step was to line up the extra cars and the extra trains that will be needed. And that means also lining up the extra people that will be needed to run them, and making the necessary arrangements in busy terminals to get the trains in and out promptly, 
and to take care of the crowds. Many of these things can be planned ahead on the basis of experience and expectation. But then there comes along sometimes the unexpected. Weather, for example, a storm, snow, fog, icy roads would mean that a good many of you who plan to travel some other way might change your minds when the time comes to go and decide to go in the warmth and comfort and safety of the train. And if that should happen, the railroads will do their best to take care of you too. So the railroads are making ready to carry you and your family on your Christmas journeys. And they hope that many of you will ride with them. But no matter how you go, they wish you a safe journey and a joyous reunion at journey's end. The Railroad Hour show train will return in just a moment after a brief pause for station identification. to Act Three of Holiday Inn, starring George Murphy, Martha Tilton, Jerome Cowan, and your host, Gordon McRae. The heart with which so willingly I part It's yours to take to keep but please, before you start, be careful. It's my heart. And so Ted and I went to Hollywood, and Jim stayed at Holiday Inn. I was lonely in rooms crowded with people. I was impatient with voices that dripped with compliments. I was heartsick and completely without heart. Nothing mattered very much. Linda, you know, we're getting to be quite an item in the gossip column. Are we, Ted? I bet we are. How about giving them something really concrete to write about, like, say, a wedding date? I'm not in love with you, Ted. But I'm in love with you. Well, you always fall in love with your dancing partners. I've never been in love like this before. Why don't you marry me and let me try to make you happy? We go so well together. We dance well, we talk well, we look well. It all goes to show you how deceiving appearances can be, doesn't it? Be careful, it's my heart. It's not my watch you're holding, it's my... Ted, Ted, stop singing that. No use living in the past, Linda. The past is over. You might as well put your mind and heart in the future. I know you're right. I know it's the sensible thing to do. I haven't even heard a word from him. Come on, make a new life for yourself, Linda. Marry me. You really want to marry me, knowing how I feel? Yes, I'm sure that you'll get over how you feel now, Linda. Every torch burns itself out eventually. All right, Ted. All right. Christmas? Christmas? Marry me Christmas Day. All right. All right, Christmas Day. And 
so Ted and I planned a wedding for Christmas Day. And back at Holiday Inn, Jim sat alone, listening to a record he had made of a Thanksgiving song. He sat by himself, talking back to the record. Okay, sing it good, Pappy, and cheer me up. I've got plenty to be thankful for. Are you kidding? I haven't got no great big yacht to sail from shore to shore. Still, I've got plenty to be thankful for. Hey, you're, you're really loaded, Dad. I've got plenty to be thankful for. Oh, so? Like what? No private car, caviar, carpet on my floor. Nothing. Still, I've got plenty to be thankful for. Why don't you go out there and tell her you love her, you jughead? I've got eyes to see with. You need glasses. Ears to hear with. Big enough to fly with. Arms to hug with. Lips to kiss with. Someone to adore. You're a little flat. You're not getting anywhere sitting here. My needs are small. I buy them all at the five and ten cent store. The worst you could do is say no. I've got plenty to be thankful for. Get on a train, you chowderhead. I've I've got got plenty plenty to be thankful thankful for. On the night before Christmas, we shot the last scene of Holiday Inn. I walked on the set, and there was the inn, just as it had been on the day I walked in and asked Jim for the job. There was the Christmas tree and the piano. There was everything, just as it was. All the props were there, only the people were different. I wandered around, touching things, until the director said, All right, darling, now you come in with a sleigh, and we'll follow you on the boom from outside into the inn. And when you get there, go to the piano and do your song. You just make me cry when you sing it, and I'll get you out of here early so you can start getting ready for that wedding. Yes, Mr. Dunbar. (laughs) All right, ready for a run-through.
Christmas card I write. Oh, Jim, Jim, darling, where did you come from? I came to get you and take you home to Holiday Inn. Oh, Jim, I thought you didn't care. I thought that... I never stopped caring. Oh, Jim, neither did I. And may all your Christmases be one. I'm going to marry Jim, Ted. I'm going to marry Jim. I'm sorry, but it's the only right way for this story to end. Well, that's very nice of you to let me know. The only way the three of us can ever be happy together. Oh, well, I bow to the inevitable, gracefully saying the appropriate, the seasonal thing. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gordon McRae giving a special thank you to George Murphy, Martha Tilton, and Jerome Cowan for guesting with us tonight. And to our splendid supporting cast, Jack Edwards and Jess Kirkpatrick. Holiday Inn was adapted for radio by Gene Holloway. Well, next week, the show train will arrive on the same tracks and at the same time. On board will be Nadine Connor, Sterling Holloway, Clark Dennis, and Francis X. Bushman to join me in bringing you the Sigmund Romberg operetta, The Desert Song. And by the way, tonight we, we'd like to say welcome to a brand new show which follows us on ABC and will be heard each Monday night hereafter. It's Henry J. Taylor, the famous author and commentator in his program, Your Land and Mine. And I'm sure you're going to like it. All aboard! Well, it looks as though ready to pull out. And so until next week, goodbye. Holiday Inn was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, whose current release is the Technicolor production, The Pale Face, starring Bob Hope and Jane Russell. George Murphy appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the all-star Technicolor musical Words and Music, based on the lives and music of Rogers and Hart. Gordon McRae appeared by arrangement with Warner Brothers. This is Marvin Miller speaking. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by 132 railroads of the United States. Each one of them has its own operations and services. Each one competes keenly with others for business. But all of them work together through the Association of American Railroads for the improvement of all railroading and for better service to you. Friends, this is Gordon McRae again. All of us who help to bring you the Railroad Hour join with our guest stars and the American Railroads in sincere wishes that you will have a Merry Christmas and a truly happy holiday season. the American Broadcasting Company.
wrong, it was Martha Tilton on that one, not Margaret Whiting. Anyway, it's Wednesday, December 27th, year 2017. Merry Christmas, everybody. What's up, uh, dear Lord, look after our families and friends. Help those who have just lost loved ones over the holidays, Lord. That's my neighbor, Marlene Schaefer, who lost her husband, Jim, last night. Help our families who are going through any pains and struggles. Maybe physically. Look after our loved ones, Lord. Look after the men and women who serve in the armed forces and their family. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, let's play another radio show. Jaws Professional Christmas Shows Folders Chris Rogers of the Railroad Out Radio Readers Digest 4612194242 Room for us Radio City Playhouse 491225F68 Apostrophe Twas the Night Unloading Jock Hands OK Enter Christmas Shows Folders I The National Broadcasting Company presents Radio City Playhouse Attraction 66 <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here is the director of Radio City Playhouse, Harry W. Junkin. Thank you, Fred. Good afternoon, everybody. It seems to us that there are few things more appropriate as a Christmas gift to Radio City Playhouse listeners than a story by the inimitable Paul Gallico. Since 1936, when he first entered the short story field, he has been published regularly by such magazines as the Saturday Evening Post, Colliers, Cosmopolitan, and Esquire, and today we welcome him to Radio City Playhouse. Here then, with our very best wishes, is our Christmas Day broadcast. Lyle Sudrow as Perry Brown, Bernard Grant as Al Vogel in Twas the Night Before Christmas by Paul Gallico, Attraction 66 on Radio City Playhouse. <laughs> It is 4 o'clock in the afternoon of Saturday, December the 24th, in the city room of the Daily Blade. Almost everybody has gone home. A couple of office boys are yawning on the call bench. Three rewrite men are packing away at their typewriters and watching the clock. At the head of the room, Tex Court, the city editor, is talking earnestly into the telephone with a hunted look on his face. Near the door, Perry Brown, the Daily Blade's best reporter, is chatting with Al Vogel, his photographer. They're both about to leave for Rusty's party when Perry's telephone rings. Hello, Perry Brown. Oh, hello, Rusty. Yes, we're just leaving. Uh -huh, I'm all cleaned up. Uh, the, tree, uh, the tree come? Uh, good. 
No, no, Vogel's sitting on my desk. We'll leave together. Oh, honey, I'm going to trim that tree with diamonds, rubies, and sapphires. That'll run into dough. Vogel says that'll run into dough. <laughs> huh? Oh, darling, if you play Holy Night, I'll cry. Yes, I will. I get very sentimental about Christmas. Vogel will cry, too, won't you, Al? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right, we'll all cry, and it'll be a wonderful party. Oh, now, darling, don't worry about the Christmas tree fires. They won't break out until 9 o'clock, and besides, I'd quit before I'd miss the party. Okay, anything you want me to bring? Just me? Okay. Love you. Hey, why don't you marry the girl and put her out of her misery? I'm uh, working on it by this time next year. Come on, Al, let's get out of here. Right behind you. Let's go say Merry Christmas to Tex. Come on. It's a good idea. Come on. Rusty's as excited about this Christmas party as a five-year-old kid. It's our first real planned party. No kidding. Yes, mm -hmm. Mr. Petensall, I understand, and I'm sure we can take care of it by 11 o'clock at number three Courtney Tower. Your harness to the wagon, yes. Mrs. Petensall. It's all right, Mrs. Petensall. I'll keep in touch with you. <laughs> Same to you. Goodbye. Uh, Al and I are just leaving, Tex. Merry Christmas and try to get up to Rusty's party if you can, will you? Uh, what's the matter? Perry, I meant to let you and Al go, but oh, no. something unforeseen is coming. No, you promised us the night off. You did, Tex. Yes, I know. And you'll get to Rusty's party later. Did you, uh, hear anything of that telephone conversation I just had? You, uh... Mean Mrs. Pettensall? Tex. Her nephews have arrived unexpectedly from the West. She wants a Christmas present for us. Oh, no. She wishes us to secure a pair of goats for her. Goats? Harness to a red wagon. Oh, you're kidding. Goats? Harness to a red wagon. Is she crazy? Where can you find a couple of goats in a red wagon on Christmas yeah, Eve? Yeah, where can you find a couple of goats? You mean where can you find them? Oh, Tex, no. It'll be all right if the outfit arrives at three Courtney Towers by 11 tonight. I won't do it. I promised Rusty. And I promised the wife of our editor and managing director that I'd get her two goats. All right, we quit, don't we, Al? Absolutely, we, we quit. We told Rusty nothing would keep us away from her first party. Listen, Perry, Al, I'm sorry, but I'm on the spot. Do you think I get a kick out of having my reporters used as footmen? Mrs. Pettensall's a bad little girl. Bad little girl. She's a gadfly sent to try us. I'm sorry, but it's all a part of the screwy business, and she is the wife of our managing director. Now, please, Perry. There's nobody else to send, please. I can't. Rusty will give me the air. That she'll understand she's a newspaper woman. No, 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 not tonight she isn't. Tonight she's a kid having her first Christmas You'll party. You'll just be a little late. Here, I'll give you a petty cash slip. Yeah. Get upstairs and cash it before five. How much? The sky's the limit. All right, a grand. I said the sky, not the stratosphere. You want your stinking goats, don't you? How do I know what I'll run up against? I may have to buy them from the zoo. Okay. Here. Need any help? Call me. Oh, thank you. And you call Rusty. I haven't got the nerve. She'll think I'm drunk. All right. Call her up and say you sent me out to get two goats and a red wagon. Oh, boy, she'll love you. Come on, Al. Maybe we can get the goats quick somehow. Uh... Hey, where are you going first, Perry? Where would you go to get goats? Brooklyn. Gee, Perry, it's nice driving over Brooklyn Bridge at night, ain't it? Yeah. Two go. Ah, the 
bridge looks pretty tonight with all the lights on it and everything. Yeah. Where, oh, where can I find to go? Hey, just, just look at the lights on the water, Perry, and the fierce yeah. look, huh? Hey, Perry, look. Huh? Hey, hey, that flash of flame down there, look. Will yeah, you? Hey, Perry, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. on fire, look, will yeah, you? Yeah, 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 lovely fire. Maybe it'll burn all night. Too bad we can't go. What do you mean we can't go? You nuts. My dear Al, consider your position. We're in the service of the rich. We're after goats. We're not reporters. We're lackeys. Mrs. Pettensall would be very, very angry if we went to a fire instead of buying her two goats harnessed to a red wagon. Perry, we gotta look. It's spread. Look at the orange and the yellow. I know. Like an atomic bomb. Would you look? look? Maybe I can grab a shot. Oh, slow down, Perry. Please. Maybe I can get a picture from here. No, 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 Al. We must let nothing turn us from our duty. We're not reporters. We're butlers. Well, I got it anyway. And maybe that won't be the picture of the year. <laughs> Silky and white, and I hope it gives Mrs. Pattensall a bite. Hey, Perry, will you stop singing? Huh? I knew we shouldn't have gone in any bars looking for goats. Oh, and where else would you look for a goat? Hey, Perry, Perry, uh, look, that taxi, look, yeah. look, look, an ambulance. Mm -hmm. It's been an accident. Look, 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 Perry, slow down, please, will you? Mm -hmm. Hey, that woman, she's hurt. Please, Perry, no. slow down. Let me get a no, picture, no, will you? No, no, What would Mrs. Pattensall say if she ever found out you went around shooting a camera at people? I got it. Oh, stop taking pictures. Hey, you know what? You're uh, lost, that's what. We're lost in Brooklyn, and we'll be here for years and years. We and are not lost. You'd stop taking pictures. You'd see that we're now approaching Cyprus in 283rd, and if our friend the bartender is correct, we're about to get our first goat. Didn't he have any number? No. Brown shack at the corner of Cyprus and 283rd. That must be it over there beside those signboards. Hey, what is it, a garbage dump? Or is that the goats I smell? Please, be a good goat, will you? Now, come on. What's he stopping for? I don't know. Please, Rudolph, we're almost at the car. Now, in a little while, you meet Mrs. Pettensall. You like her. You can't pull them if they don't want her. Now, look, Rudolph, I paid 100 bucks for you. Will you please act like a $100 goat? Hey, he's sniffing at something on the ground. Huh? Yeah. Hey, Perry, look. What? Perry. It's a body. What? Yeah, 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 in a sack. Suffering cats, there's a note on it. Well, give me a flashlight. Hey. Merry Christmas from the boys. Wow. I think I know him. Flashlight in his face. Yeah. Huh? Holy cow, Perry, it's Pro Guard at the ace office. Yeah. Wow. He had his nose in the poultry racket, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas from the boys. What a story. How? Well, too bad we're busy. Whip. Perry, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. Business before pleasure. Yeah. We're still one goat shy. Pro Gower. Well, let me take a couple of pictures. Okay, but make it snappy. All right, Rudolph. I'll give you one more chance. Yeah. Are you or are you not going to get into the car without being kicked? Yeah. Rudolph, 
off. Stay in the back seat, will you? Stop kissing me. I'm driving. Yeah, and you should have stuck to lemonade. Oh, you should talk. While I think of it, who did you phone in that last tavern? Hey, office, Tex. Oh, what's you telling? Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, he said Rusty had phoned and said you needn't bother coming to the party no matter how early you got through. And uh, I just sort of casually mentioned the fire and a pro-gower murder. Ah, uh, that'll teach him to send us out after goats. Hey! Where'd that bartender say we should go? Oh, guy by the name of Constantine Buonacasa. Huh? It's just a couple of blocks more. Hey! Well, now what's the matter with Rudolph? I believe he is slightly loaded. He downed a whole can of beer the barkeep gave him. More likely it's the can. He downed that too. Hey! Mr. Buonacasa? Yes? Uh, well, my friend here and I, curious as it may seem, are seeking to purchase a goat. Yeah, yes. goat. Yeah, yes. goat. Uh, Jerry, the, the bartender at Mike's Tavern, said you had goats. <laughs> you make the, the, the joke, eh? No, no. Uh, come on, we got company. You drink a glass of wine, everything should be all right. Christmas time, everybody should feel okay. Uh, look, any time <laughs> but Christmas Eve, it might be a gag. It's dead on the level, brother. I gotta get another goat. Now... Have you got one? And we ain't kidding. This yeah. is no funny business. Honest. All right. You coming with me? Yeah. Uh, you uh, have got goats, haven't you? Sure, I got the goats. Paolo and Francesca. Uh, they man and a wife. Oh, oh. Nice goats. A good goats. You like a goat, say? Uh, oh, uh, sure. Yeah, we love goats, don't we? Alex? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Especially on Christmas Eve, we love goats. Yeah. He's uh, in here, the shed. There, Paolo and Francesca. Goats. <laughs> oh, the ain't got them yet. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 Mr. Buena Casa. See? Si? How, how, mu how much for the big one? Ma che vergogna! I tell you, the name is Paolo and Francesca. This is a husband and a wife. I don't sell a one. You marry man, I think you understand, oh, eh? <laughs> oh, oh, forgive me, old man, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking about. Yeah, 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 they look so pretty. They're in love. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, look, love. yeah, sure, look. Uh, Mr. Bonacasa, I got a, I got a goat outside. Yeah? Swellest goat you ever saw, Rudolph. Rudolph? He, he loves everybody. Crazy about everybody. Yeah, wh what about a deal? I buy Paolo and Francesca, you take Rudolph and part swap, huh? Uh, you can have one swell loving goat and some cash. Everybody, she's a happy, huh? I don't want one goat. No? No. What's the matter with having one goat? What good is one goat except to another goat? Except... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah uh, look, uh, Mr. Uh, Buonacas, it's a deal. Uh, how much? Well, I'm not sure I want much to sell now. Three hundred dollars? Amici. Amici, she's good. Paolo and Francesca, they're yours. Now, you come in the house and we have some wine. It's a, it's a party. We sing songs. We lift the ceiling. I know we shouldn't have stayed at one of Casa's party so long. I just knew it. Perry, Perry, please stop, will ya? Right. If I don't eat soon, I'm gonna die. Oh, please, please. 
We got the goats. We got three goats, in fact. Let's eat and get them up to Mrs. Pettenstall's, huh? Will you shut up, Rudolph? You too, Francesca, will you pipe down? Holy smokes, we're up to our neck and goats. What are we going to do with three goats, Perry? What are we going to do? Oh, If we don't eat soon, Perry, I'm going to be sick. You know something, Perry? I wouldn't have blamed that weight if he'd have socked you. Russian caviar in a dump like this. You kidding? One, two, one, black. Al, I'm sleeping. Now, please, do not disturb me. Allow me to sit here with my head in my hands and suffer. Oh, mm -hmm. oh stop nudging me, Al. Will you stop nudging me? Good evening, all. Mind if I join the party? Rusty. Hello, Perry. Don't suppose you'd mind if I sat down. Hello. You're sore. Not at all. It's been a perfect Christmas Eve. How'd you find us? You left a trail a blind man could follow. When I saw your car parked outside with three goats in the back seat, I sort of figured you might be in here. Oh, don't be sore, Rusty. Don't sore? Be sore? Why should I be sore? Well, what are you doing away from the party? There is no party. Huh? Can I have some coffee, too? What do you mean? I'm working. Everybody's working. There's never been a Christmas like it before. Progower was murdered. Progower of the DA's office. Oh, for goodness sake. Well, well, fancy that. It also happens that Pier 547 Brooklyn blew up. Not really. Perry, why do you drink? Uh, because they sent me out on Christmas Eve to buy two goats and a red wagon. Oh. Have you got the wagon? Uh, the wagon! The wagon! Oh, I haven't got the wagon. Well, I have. That's one reason I'm here. Tex thought you'd forget. Where is it? Outside my car. Oh, Rusty, you're wonderful. Am I? We got one goat too many, Rusty. Hmm, you noticed it too, did you? Isn't Mrs. Pettensall going to be surprised? What's the matter with them now? They're frightened. Now, listen, Goat, you're out of the elevator. All you got to do is walk down this nice, quiet hall here, see? That's it. Now, just walk slowly down the hall to apartment three. And stop kissing me. <laughs> oh, look, Rusty, Rudolph loves me. It's quarter to 11. The Pettensalls will be home in yeah. 15 minutes. All right, all right, all right. Vogel, huh? you take Paolo. Rusty, yeah. you grab Francesca. Yeah. For you, Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> Well, whoever answers this door is in for an awful shock. Rudolph, Rudolph, he loves me. He's kissing me. Merry Christmas, Rudolph. You're the sweetest little goat in the whole wide world. Good evening. Good heavens. Are you the Pettensalls butler? I am, sir. And might I ask what you are? Move over. We got goats. You got a bathroom with a sunken tub? Oh, 
Oh, hold still, Rudolph. There. There, there. I guess you're clean. Oh, they both uh, look like fluffy little lambs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but Rudolph, Rudolph here doesn't deserve a bath ever smashing the Petensol's mirror. Well, he couldn't help it. Hmm? The first time he'd ever seen himself and that mean expression on his face. Uh, uh, all right, hold still, Rudolph. You'll be dry in a minute. That's a boy. All right, give me another towel, Rusty. Hey, you've used five already. <laughs> Bathroom looks like a nightmare. That's a boy. Yeah, well, you can't deliver dirty goats to Mrs. Pettensall. <laughs> Say, he's real cute when he's clean, isn't he? <laughs> What's Vogel doing? Uh, making a harness out of neckties. Strive. <laughs> Get him harnessed to the wagon yeah. and get out of here before the petensols arrive. Yeah, huh? yeah. Come on, Rudolph, you look swell. <laughs> well, come on, Rusty, open the door. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, this is sure some dump. Oh, oh how's the harness coming, Al? <laughs> I used Mr. Petensol's neckties. Hey, look at it. Swell, ain't it? Oh, Al, yeah. Al, it's the nicest harness I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you ever see a tree like that in your whole life? Never, <clears throat> and I never will. I'll never, ever have a Christmas like other people. Never. Well, let's get them harnessed. There. Oh, yeah. Finished. Red wagon and all. Yeah. Now, don't they look cute? <laughs> Paolo and Francesca, man and wife. Makes me want to cry. What are they doing to the tree? Looks to me as if they're eating Give it. A... a little at a time. Uh, uh, Rudolph! Oh. Good Lord. Darn you, anyway, Rudolph. Oh, Perry, look out. He'll break uh, the other Rudolph. one. Suffering oh. cats. Hey, hold it. Here come the petting souls, I bet you. Oh, what's going on in here? My vase. Oh, both of them. What is the meaning of this? Who are you people? Alan, are these people from the paper? I believe they are, my dear. Get out of here, all of you. You hooligans, you're drunk. I beg, beg your pardon, we're not drunk. Of course you're drunk. Otherwise, what's the meaning of the third animal? It is a spare. A spare? That's supposed to be funny. Will you please leave? Alan, I expect you to deal with these people tomorrow. Oh, Rusty, I believe Mrs. Pettensall is sore. Is she? Well, so am I. Mrs. Pettensall, you're all through with Perry Brown now, aren't you? I don't believe I know yes, who... Yes, you are. You're through with him. He's drunk and he's dirty, and besides, he served your purpose. He got you what you wanted, two goats and a red wagon on Christmas Eve. No other man in town could have done it tonight, or would have. Get out of here, you... You've been using our office and our staff to do your dirty work for the last five years. Where? Run errands, fetch and carry, fix things for you, play nursemaid to you. Well, that's out as far as we're concerned. And when you replace us, I suggest you go to an employment agency that furnishes trained servants. <gasps> It'll be nice to know you can call up the office when you need an extra butler. Come on, boys, come on, Rudolph, let's get out of here. I can smell something that has nothing to do with goat. Well, I've no, no, never no, been... No, 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 my dear. Uh, <gasps> good night, Miss McGowan, Miss Brown, Mr. Vogel. Good night. Oh, come on, let's get out of here. We got rid of Al. Now, if we could only get rid of Rudolph. Uh, I called up the zoo. Well? 
They didn't want to go. Oh. Mm. I call it the Metropolitan Museum of Art, too. <laughs> what on earth for? I don't know. I thought maybe because it was Christmas Eve, they might make an exception. <laughs> what do we do with them? Honey, I don't know, but I'm, I'm not going to abandon Rudolph on some cold, vacant lot. He's got a right to Christmas, too. <laughs> well, where will we take him? I don't know. I guess we'll just wander around Brooklyn with him until we die of old age. <laughs> No, 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 don't kiss me when I'm driving, Rudolph. <laughs> he loves me, Rusty. I know. I do, too. Yeah. Do you? Mm-hmm. For heaven's sakes, let's get some coffee. I'm perishing with a cold, Perry. Look, there's a place. Mm -hmm. Come on, stop, Perry. All right, all right, all right. Do you, do you think you love me as much as Rudolph loves me? Mm, I think I do. Okay, then I'll buy you some coffee. All right, now, uh, get uh, Rudolph out on your side. Can't he stay in the car? Well, Rudolph's got a right to his Christmas, too. Attaboy. Go on, Rudolph. Go with Rusty. That's a fella. Come on, Rudolph. Good old Rudolph. Rusty, honey, I just couldn't leave Rudolph without a home on Christmas Eve. It wouldn't be human. I know. Do you suppose we'll have to keep him forever? I don't know. All right, now, sit down, Rudolph. Sit down beside us and shut up. Hey, 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 mister, hey, you can't bring that goat in Oh, yes, we can. It's Christmas Eve, coffee and donuts for two and some wheat biscuits for Rudolph. Is that what goats eat? Yeah, yeah, just one of the things. No, 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 no. Leave, him, leave him in the box. That's hmm? right, yeah, he'll eat the box and all. He'll be hysterical when he hits the biscuits after all that cardboard. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Here, Rudolph, now, don't let me hear a sound out of you. Yeah. Boy, I've seen everything now. Huh? Donuts and coffee coming up. You unhappy, kid? <laughs> Barry, I'm an awful fake. I've loved every minute of it. No fooling. Mm. I was mad because you wouldn't take me with you. <laughs> oh, it's a lousy racket, but we love it. I guess we're out of it now, though. We haven't got a job, Rusty. Oh, I think we have. Remember when Mr. Pettensall said goodnight? Yes. He winked at me. No kidding. Mm. He's been wanting to tell her off for years. Oh, I'll bet. Perry, can't you remember anything that happened tonight? Oh, some of it. Well, you know there's a bonus waiting for you at the office? A bonus? Uh -huh. What for? For your work on the Pier 547 explosion. What? Vogel took a picture of it. Yeah? Yeah. He also took a picture of the death of some Brooklyn alderman's wife in a taxi accident and a half a dozen of Progower's bodies. Yeah, what are you talking about? Vogel phoned the office around six yeah. and said if we would go to an address he gave us and look behind some signboards, there'd be something for us. Uh -huh. There was. On top of Progower's body were half a dozen plates and a note from Vogel with the captions on them. They're all over page one now. Well, I'll be good old Vogel. I tried to make an honest flunky out of him, but I guess he's just a newspaper man at heart. Huh. So you see, everything's all right. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Now, if we could only just get rid of Rudolph. Yeah. Hey, mister, give me two coffees and two donuts to go. Right. Rusty, Rusty, look. What? That kid. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, Sonny. Sonny, come here, will you? Hello, lady. Hi, Sonny. Hello, mister. Hi. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Say, 
How would you like a goat for Christmas? Her? Him. Honest? Honest. You mean just take him? Right now. You want him? Gee, do I? Gosh. Call him Rudolph. Gee, thanks, mister. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Come on, Rudolph. <laughs> well, we've done it, Rusty. We've done it. Rudolph has a home. <laughs> Darling, Merry Christmas. Terry. Hey, 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 cut out that kissing stuff. I run a respectable joint. <laughs> have just heard Twas the Night Before Christmas by Paul Gallico, starring Lyle Sudrow as Perry Brown. Bernard Grant was Al Vogel, and other members of the cast included Ross Martin, Frank Milano, Louis Van Ruten, Connie Lemke, Butch Cavell, and Grace Keddy. The special music was composed and conducted by Dr. Roy Shield. Twas the Night Before Christmas was adapted for radio by Harry W. Junkin, who also directed the entire production. This is Harry Junkin again. Next week on Radio City Playhouse, Jan Minor gives vitality and charm to the role of Anne Stratton in a tender and beautiful love story called Reflection. That's next week, Reflection, Attraction 67 on Radio City Playhouse. Merry Christmas, everybody, and good afternoon. What's on NBC tonight? There's a Christmas stocking full of entertainment. As a holiday special, Theater Guild on the Air will present Paulette Goddard and Sir Cedric Hardwick in that perennial favorite, The Passing of the Third Floor Back. Hear this special Christmas program, Paulette Goddard and Sir Cedric Hardwick on Theater Guild on the Air. You'll find a Merry Christmas all day long on NBC. Fred Collins speaking. Now stay tuned for James Melton and Harvest of Stars on NBC. Merry Christmas, everybody, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow, Thursday, December 28th, year 2017, with Patricia. Hello. Jaws Professional Christmas Shows Folders Chris Alt Tab 1 Alt Tab Calvacay Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11